Hello there, welcome to episode number seven of Chew Cult Pop, the podcast about me- the the podcast about music not a podcast about music actually the podcast about music there are other podcasts available that are about music but they're just by the by really this is the main one this is the one that you need to be tuned into thanks very much for listening hope you're well thank you very much for joining us once again it's me Stephen Hill and joining me the out of tune vocals to my John Frusciante as we'll be discussing a little bit (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> later on it's sam slight how you doing sam uh desperately offended that you compare me to perhaps the worst professional musician of all time which i think we'll get into really you think that that's, that's he's, he's down there isn't he i think as what we will talk about has evidenced yeah 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 i mean you know you've uh you've come swinging out the gate there with a with a big opinion yeah on a week hot where takes. people have been having hot takes and big opinions it seems kind of irrelevant compared to some of the mad shit people have been saying this week mm. some mad shit people have been saying it's only one man really who's been saying anything particularly mad yeah. and we'll get to him in a little bit but on the show this week we're going to be talking about new albums from backwash from show me the body from marlow and from carly ray jepson catching up on all of that plus sam went to see the bug that i did night. that i did mm-hmm. and we will be talking about some of the news um uh, a few people have passed away this week. We'll be talking about that. And Kurt Cobain's body is still rotating in its grave as well from something else that we're going to be talking about. Yeah, uh, bad times that, bad times. Yeah, bad times. And um, we have news of, I'm not going to say the death, but the end of an artist that you and I both admire greatly, which mm. is a bit of a shame as well, isn't it? It is a shame, but I think you know, when we get into that news story, um, I actually really admire the reasons behind it. But we'll get to that in a bit, won't we? We will get to that in a bit. Before we do, we should say that you can go over to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash truecoppop, and help us out financially if you so wish. Obviously, the cost of living crisis is happening at the moment. Um We've had, you know, uh, a fair few drop-offs on the old patrons, but that's fine. I'm not going to cuss anybody out for doing that. You know, it's nice that you signed up in the first place. But if you would like to listen to some of our content, then that is where you can find us. You can go over and sign up for just a pound, just a single pound, and you'll be able to suggest a record or a song, or you can suggest anything you like that you'd like to see me and Sam do a podcast on, and we will do our very, very best to do that. We've got one coming up on Saturday, uh, as begged <laughs> as begged for by me last yes. week. Uh, the Presidents of the United States of America, their self-titled debut album from 1995. We did a podcast about that, and I can... No spoilers, no spoilers, but I can say, for those of you who were appalled last week, Sam is now familiar and aware of the song Peaches. So that is true. that's happened. That is true. You are now familiar with that, aren't you? I am, intimately. I want it played at my funeral. Well, mm. um, that would be... That would, that would be a... M- weird fucking song to get but i know people do sometimes go like oh I'll play something weird at my funeral just to sort of cheer people up but i think if, <laughs> if, you, play, if you played peaches by the united states president of the united states of america actually at your funeral i think that would just people would feel like that was a, i think that'd be a really weird thing to do well we do like andy kaufman would do yeah well we do peaches on the way in i think <laughs> to to the chapel uh and on the way out we'll have mother of the world by swans from the seer i think that's the half hour track so and you're not allowed yeah. to leave till it's finished as well 
Oh God, this sounds like the word. I'm not coming to your funeral. Well, I'm definitely going <laughs> to die before you, aren't I? Let's be honest. So, um, but well, yeah, I so, hope not, but you know. Well, I hope. Well, I don't really know what to say to that. Yeah, you don't know what to yeah, say to that, do you? Because you went, oh no, oh no, no, I hope not. Oh, hold on, well, that's. I think no, it's just. Let's be fair. You are the more valuable contribution to society of the two of us, Steve. Yeah, but I mean, I wouldn't put yourself <laughs> down in that way. Sam, yeah, but because. That's no, not, no, 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 that's not what you say. You meant to say, no, Sam, you're lovely no, it is. as well. It, no, no, it, oh, it would, look, there's not many people that I would say are a more valuable member of society than me. That is fair. I'm incredibly valuable, Sam, incredibly mm. valuable. I reviewed the new Blame Kandinsky album for Metal Hammer this month. Ooh. That is an input, like, <laughs> they're, a, they're a Greek kind of tech metal. I, was say, I don't, know, um, don't know who that is. So sorry. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. Well, no, like, well, now you, you buy metal, you're going to find out. Right? That is an important... That is an important service that the world needs. And that is the thing. I think people underestimate just how important um, music journalists are, how integral we are exactly. to the fabric of society, more so than uh, any president of the United States or otherwise. It's the hardest job in the world. <laughs> but, you know, we just listen, we listen to music differently. Yeah, we do. We just listen <laughs> to music differently. So we watch football differently. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm not... Let's, <laughs> let's leave that. that. Yeah. Let's just fucking leave that nonsense. Been that Um yeah, so anyway, uh, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash true cult pop and you can uh, listen to me and Sam talk about the presence of the United States of America. If you're listening to this podcast day it comes out, that will be tomorrow. Mm. If you want to up your pledge to £5 a month, then you will get two classic albums. Last week, we put up our Napalm Death classic album. Coming this Wednesday, another important monument in mm. British heavy music. We're talking about Sempaternal by Bring Me The Horizon, which we're actually going to record pretty much straight after we've finished recording um, this show. And I have to say, I have quite a lot to speak about when it comes to Bring Me The Horizon, particularly around that era. It's a funny one to do because it doesn't feel like that long ago in my head, which I think is something that I will talk about quite a lot. It feels like the newest classic album that we've done. I think it is. Um, uh, no, actually, you, for me, anyway. Uh, well, yeah, for your picks, because um, I believe in in the in the good old days, in the legacy days, uh, Ghost Teen was one, wasn't it? Day. So that was twenty sixteen. Oh no, Skeleton yeah. Tree. Sorry, not Ghost Teen. Skeleton Tree, but from yeah. twenty sixteen. Skeleton Tree, but yeah, and uh, Yellow and Green. Uh, Yellow and Green was a year before. That was twenty twelve. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, you're right. Yeah, but you're even, right. even but still, it does feel it's a recent one, and to be fair, it does feel it doesn't feel that long ago. And obviously, we'll talk about this. Uh, when we actually record it but um i think culturally it is almost a lifetime ago in that kind of music so i'm really looking forward mm. to that chat that'll be a good one yeah looking forward to that so go over you can sign up for five pounds you will get a classic on sempaternal and then i think after that sam's going to do atomizer by big black so hell yeah we're going in on the old noisy stuff at the moment aren't we um mm. before we go any further into what's happened this week and what we've been up to uh we always shout out a song every week that we've been listening to a lot for whatever reason or has been stuck in my head i'm bef gonna preface this with saying i nearly picked mike oldfield's tubular bells because oh, it's okay. halloween yeah. and because i watched i didn't even watch um the exorcist i didn't actually watch the exorcist i watched mark commode's documentary on the exorcist oh okay and it's a good documentary that, to be fair it's a very very good documentary and just that um was enough to make me sort of shit myself but i did then listen to tubular bells because it all started like so basically like this isn't the song but 
Let's I do it anyway. Bells, I was like, this is fucking scary in it, tubular bells. And because I, I, so they showed um, on on Sunday. I went to see me and my girlfriend went to see The Shining at mm. cinema, right now. And we'd had this conversation all running all week because there's this thing on um, Amazon that we were watching, and it was the top. It's the top hundred and one scariest horror movie moments, right? And I won't spoil it for you. But the top 10 is quite surprising. And some big movies, which I consider to be like the scariest movies around, are not, are in the kind of, they're not in the top five, basically. And well, basically, I'm going to spoil it for you. Like The Exorcist and Shining, neither of them were in the top five, which I was quite surprised about. Because The Shining surprising. always scared the shit out of me. And so I was like, I was like, you know, I saw The Shining. I found it really, really creepy and horrible and terrifying. There's just something about that movie. And, you know, and I was like, that's the scariest film. And my girlfriend was going, no, no, The Exorcist. There's something about The Exorcist which is horrible, much more horrible, much more horrible. And I was like, no, 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 no. The Shining, definitely. Because that could happen. And it's really kind of psychologically damaging and like weird and blah, blah, blah. And I went to see The Shining. And it is still really, really creepy, but I didn't find myself filled with existentialist dread in the same way. And I kind of felt what I was thinking I was going to come out of it being like, oh God, that film's just so weird. And I didn't feel that. But then we watched the documentary on The Exorcist and I was like, no, okay, right, yeah, this is, this. I think I think The Exorcist is scarier than The Shining. I'm going to concede. Um, hmm, I would probably agree that The Exorcist is just that little bit more sort of perturbing. Um. But I guess, uh, well, I'd imagine this list, given that those two aren't in this list that you're talking about, I, I wonder the sort of the age group of the people it's made by. Because I know a lot of people sort of around my age and younger <laughs> who think that The Exorcist is really schlocky and not scary at all because of, well, when it was made, basically. It's like, eh. I guess it's a generational thing. But I think The Exorcist is terrifying and absolutely superb. It is a fantastic film. Not my favourite horror film, of course. That would be Alien. It's- Sidney Poitier. <laughs> yes. Not my favourite yeah. actor. <laughs> yeah. No, a- yeah. uh, I think Alien would be my plump for best horror film. I think it's fucking incredible. Alien's brilliant. Yeah. And to Why be fair, are we talking about this? You started oh, talking about Cheeky Bells. Well, I was going to say, you're right. Not, yes. not to do down The Shining and The Exorcist. I just prefer Alien. I like the aesthetic of that word, the Geiger Scott axis. Mm. none of them are ghost watch for me but whatever. Um, but anyway, I, so I listened to Tubular Bell. I nearly brought that in because I was like, fucking hell. It, does, some, it puts the willies up you, mm. the bells. Puts the fucking willies up you. There's something like really weird about it. Um, it's a good pick for that film. But anyway, that's not what I picked. Uh, let's not even talk about what I picked because I've just banged on them for absolutely no reason. You have gone for a new metal classic of sorts, yeah, Sam. Yeah, big time. Sick of the same old boing, so I dig a hole in me. Boing. It's Chi by Korn, the second track from their second album, Life is Peachy, from the best year in music, according to Stephen Hill, 1996. Definitely. So, Definitely. Yeah. 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 Uh, all right, what made you pick this? Um, why, why have you been listening to Life is Peachy? To be honest, I've had... Allowed to. Well, yeah, I am. Thank you. Thanks for the permission. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, I've, I've had this song uh, sort of on the back burner as a pick for a couple of weeks now, actually. I very nearly picked it on the week we had Merkage Dave on, but I thought... Uh, maybe want to do a song that I'm not going to be a little bit silly about. And it's funny, going back to Chi, because I think the thing that I I and many people remember it for is sick of the same old boing, so I dig a hole in me, boing. Even though he's saying pain, but in a very affected way. Actually, it's a really heavy and unpleasant and quite frightening song. That whole middle break where Davis is basically having a breakdown is really fucking powerful. Um, yeah, it's just a great song. Um, and... 
I think it almost tempers how kind of frightening a lot of life as Peachy is that Jonathan Davis was leaning into that that weirder vocal style that I think has now become his absolute trademark. Because you get like obviously the scatting on twist and stuff that you then hear in Follow the Leader and whatnot. Um, yeah, I mean, basically, she's just a banger and it's been stuck in my head, which is the criteria for bringing a song in for this segment. Yeah, it is an absolute banger. Yeah, a, a really, really good song. And do you know what? It made me listen. I listened to all of Life is Peachy. I can't remember when I, the last time I listened to Life is Peachy mm. from beginning to end. And I think that that classic Jonathan Davis weird scatty vocal thing, it, it kind of is born really on Life is Peachy because it's not mm. much of it. There's the odd little... Um, like Bull Tongue on the first album. Bull Tongue! There's a bit of that on Bull Tongue, but mm. it's not on it's not on Corn Corn that much. Corn Corn is a much more, I'd say, uh, I, don't, I don't think Life's Speechy isn't a serious record, but it's a much more sort of serious record. And then straight away on Twist, I mean, Twist is good. Oh, tw- Twist is fucking but, great. But it's silly, and it's forty nine seconds. It's good, but it's it's funny. It's silly. It's you know. It's whatever. Uh, and then Chi comes in, mm. and you do have that. You know, the, like the, the weird kind of over enunciation and kind of the way Jonathan Davis seems to melt all his vowels. Mm. Uh, is a, there's quite a lot of that on this record. When I you know listen back to it, and there's wicked songs in it. Like you know, Good God is amazing. Yeah, like cheesy. Chi is great. I mean, know, especially that little kind of Cypress Hill uh, style breakdown part in the middle, I think is fucking amazing. Um, and I swallow. Um, <laughs> it's, Ooh, God. Good. it's good as well. Uh, Mr. Rogers is like, I don't know what the fuck's going on with that song because I'm not sure Fred Rogers, nothing's ever come out about him that he's anything other than a, just a lovely human being. But did a song they're insistent that he's a, not he's a paedophile it's like i don't think he is lads i really yeah. i really don't think he is and then you know no place to hide is great mm. wicked with chino that's the first time i ever heard chino i think it's like oh really awesome okay. um but then you've got silly shit on it like porno creep and lowrider and adidas yeah i mean and like adidas is acid. a silly song at the end of the day isn't yeah. it yeah right but yeah, I think there's some absolute fucking belts on this. And it is when it's a little, that bit more sort of serious in the vein of the debut album that I think I really, really like Life is Peachy. I mean, there was a long time where I felt Life is Peachy was probably my favourite Corn album because it has got that oblique darkness all the way through it on a song like Good God, which to be honest, was almost my pick for this week. I was like, I know I want to do a Corn song and I just, I ended up going with Chi. But Good God's, yeah, fucking brilliant. Really horrible. And yeah, then it's kind of counteracted and balanced by some daft stuff um i think now to be fair as someone who's becoming increasingly pessimistic and just horrible obviously i have to go for the debut as my favorite corn album these days but life's peachy is fucking brilliant and i think it is a good balance of the things that corn do best yeah it is actually i i I think untouchables is probably the best corn album i have to say on reflection Mm, these days so my my hot take about corn is and I, I include Life is Peach in this. I think the debut album is maybe the only one where I wouldn't tra- take a track off. I think every other Corn album has a really? flaw somewhere. Yeah, personally, I think there's quite a bit on the, the, the debut album that's. I mean, I saw them play that live in full twice in 2004. 
2015. Right. It was 2015, wasn't it? Yeah. And um, I do remember kind of getting to... I mean, you know, that, that opening of Blind Bull Tongue, Need to, Clown, Divine, Faggot, Shoots and Ladders. I, I don't think much of Shoots and Ladders, to be honest. Do you not? Um, oh, I, re- no, I really I like it. A bit, that, that is the sort of silly part of that record. Mm. And then I think Predictable and Fake, I actually think are, are not great either. And I think, like, I like Lies. I think Lies is brilliant. I mm-hmm. wouldn't take that off. Um, and Helmet in the Bush is, is sort of, I think it's, all right as well and daddy i mean i don't want to listen to daddy i've got to be perfectly honest i mean we'll talk about like <laughs> yeah minute, about hard, hard fucking music, music yeah. to do and i actually interviewed like you you may have seen on on the internet um pure clickbait obviously pure clickbait but uh we i did an interview with john davis and <coughs> um he said he doesn't want to play daddy again he did it that time just mm. to, to show that he could do it and uh he doesn't he doesn't want to do it again which was he fairly kind of throwaway comment that he made to me but um it, it, it was interesting you know we were talking about him doing the you know the the debut in full and you know would they come back he was like oh in a couple of years it'll be you know the 30th anniversary of that album mm. and, you know do we go back out and tour it again and he was like i don't really think i want to do it i just sort of did it to to show that i could do it once and it was interesting hearing him talk about that record and, um you know and how fucking difficult it was for him to get through that whole tour and you yeah. know everybody knows everybody knows that that is the song on that record that's always kind of caused him a mm. lot of emotional distress so yeah and, and he's you know been quite open about i think the the pressures sort of uh imposed upon him i guess by ross robertson in the studio to get that kind of performance and obviously going back to it on corn three which is not a great one but it's trying to recapture that glory but um mm. yeah Oh, poor Jonathan. It's been opposed upon me. It's been opposed <laughs> upon me. Oh, if only, if only. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, will we get through an episode without doing an office or a no, just quote? No, definitely ever? not. No. No. I don't want to, to be perfectly honest. I don't want to. No. I'm, I'm, I'm closing the podcast. If that happens, I'm closing the podcast for half an hour. And that uh, is what I want. That's all. Yeah. Okay. Good. Go on. Um, yeah, no, but Chi's great. Chi is great. Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolute belter. I don't think I've ever I seen just, them do it live, actually. I've not seen Korn that many times, but I don't think I've seen them do it, and I'd love to see them do it, because it's such a good song. I re- they used to play it, so obviously I saw Korn a couple of times in the, the 90s on the Life is Peachy tour, mm. uh, and those they were such a different live band. I think I've said this before, but you know they were such a different live band to the Korn you got even a couple of years, three years later, when they came over and toured Issues. They felt like yeah. a completely different live band. That Those shows were so raw and aggressive and angry and they did cheer a lot then but I do remember um, they played Download in 2009 um, subbing Faith No More, their usual slot subbing the main stage mm-hmm. and um, I went to watch Opeth because I'd never seen Opeth before oh, right. and I was like well you know I'm not that bothered about the recent corn stuff and you know, I've, I've seen them before, so I've never seen Opeth. I'm going to go and watch them. I stood there watching Opeth, and then I was just a bit like, this is, they're good, Opeth, and they're great. But they're not really a kind of outdoor festival band when I want to be having a good time. So, I, and then suddenly I sort of looked over the hill, and I just heard, BONE! And, I, and then they went into the G, and I was like, ah, oh, <laughs> I'm going to go and watch Corn. I'm going to go and watch Corn, and they played, and I, that was the first song that I watched, and I watched the sort of second half of their set, and they were all right. It was when they were ending with bloody another brick in the wall oh no do not need don't, do, an, do not need, don't that, need Jonathan. that one. no but it is a big tune mm. it is a big tune a bit like 
my pick now this has been in my head a little for longer than a week to be fair because we mentioned it when we did our de la soul special and i was like oh yeah and then i got another reason to sort of talk about even more i have picked funky cold medina by tone loke which is the second single from tone loke's debut album loked after dark from 1989 released on the 18th of march 1989 five days after my ninth birthday you can imagine how big a birthday present that was for me that particular year big time um this is sam factually speaking go on uh the first hip-hop song that i ever purchased i bought a double a side with wild thing by tone loke um and i think i think I think it was Wild Thing and Funky Cold Medina was on the B side, which is mental because that was like the kind of the, the biggest song of the two, I think. Um, this went to number 13 on the UK singles chart. There are samples on this song. of Christine 16 by Kiss. More mm. of that coming on our Patreon page another time. You Ain't Seen <laughs> Nothing Yet by Batman Turner Overdrive and All Right Now by Free. All the rock bangers. Um, and yeah, this this is, I think, the first ever hip-hop song that I ever, I say I bought, I said to my mum, I want that, get mm. me that song. And we bought it on seven inch single. Um, I love this. Has it aged that well? In some ways it has. Mm-hmm. In in other ways, it hasn't. In other ways it's so. aged disastrously. <laughs> <laughs> what can you mean? What can you mean? <laughs> Whatever um, could I mean? It was a different time, ladies and gentlemen. It was a different time. It was a different time. It was a better time. The song <laughs> tells the story of Tone Loke's experiences with the Funky Cold Medina, yeah. which is a sort of uh, liquid af- aphrodisiac. Um, uh, and the story is thus of this song, essentially, Sam. Tone Loke sees a man in the club. Mm. The man in the club is doing very well with the ladies. Tone Loke's like, well, that's ridiculous what why over he did is much better with the ladies than me the man says well it's the funky cold medina uh and if you drink the funky cold medina then you will be irresistible to women mm. so tony Loke gets some tries it on his dog uh who did a wild thing on his leg as well mm. and um loads of dogs just start coming around t- trying to have sex with his dog all the neighborhood dogs and then um he then tries the the formula out himself mm. and meets a girl named Sheena who he takes back to his apartment for an evening of passion. But unfortunately, Sheena possesses the male reproductive organs. Tone Loke is not interested thusly in Sheena as a love interest and makes that quite clear yeah i was gonna say i think you've put that quite <laughs> diplomatically his reaction to the the, the sheena revelation um mm-hmm. so um <laughs> having heard this song for the first time in the year of our lord 2022 um i can't say that i don't like it musically i think it's really cool it's got a driving pace from that you know the sampled guitar parts and things like that those power chords it's cool it's enjoyable it does definitely feel of its of its time but I think it's held up well. I think the production is still good, isn't it? It still feels good to listen to. And at first, I found it quite charming. I mean, the opening lyrics, uh, cold cooling at a bar and I'm looking for some action. Feel like Mick Jagger said, I can't get no satisfaction. It's like, oh, that's mm. kind of funny, isn't it? Oh, he's done a, mm. he's done a reference there. He's like the Big Bang Theory of hip hop. Um, 
<laughs> and yes. The, yes, what we all want. <laughs> Take that, Tone Loke. You've got it. Put that on the poster. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, he, yes, procures this aphrodisiac drink and gives it to his dog. And I was like, that's unusual. That is weird. Um, I'm not massively in favour of animal testing, so I'm not sure that I can really back Tone Loke up on that. And yeah, yeah, when it gets to the revelation of Sheena, when he's been out for drinks, um, <coughs> I'd say there's a, there's a palpable disgust to an almost quite violent extent in the lyrical passage. And it's not nice to listen to. It is not nice to listen to. And yes, different time and everything, different attitudes. But I think that level of kind of venom in it, and it's not like a hard song or anything, but you can tell there's some real sort of seething anger. In this fictional scenario he's created, unless it's an autobiographical song, who knows? Um, yeah, I, I can't say I'm going to be rushing to get the, uh, the double A side of this one, Steve. Well, the thing, yeah, do you know what? It's funny because I had this in my head, this song, and mm. I was like, I just had the... And I think Tone Loke's got a really cool drawl. Mm. Do you know what I mean? He's got a really sort of like, I looked into my dog. And it's like this, ah, yes, that kind of eight, early 80s kind of, mm, I'm not going to say pop hip hop, but certainly because I think he would have been considered a fairly sort of, Again, I actually don't want to use the word. I don't want to use the word pop hip hop, and I don't want to use the word credible rapper either. But somewhere <laughs> in the middle, yeah, he would have been considered like you know, like this wouldn't have been considered a sort of joke song. I don't think um, that it would have been considered something that you would have heard on a Public Enemy album either, right? No. So he sort of sits in this funny little middle ground and I got this and I was like oh and I was like oh yeah we should talk about this so I texted you and I said yeah we'll talk about that we'll do Funky Cold Medina because it was you know just had it in my head that's the first the first hip-hop song that I uh that I ever bought and I uh-huh. ever owned I hadn't listened to it for a while and <laughs> as it was going on I was like oh yeah he gives some to his dog oh yeah oh yeah yeah and then it got to the verse where he just went, I went to a bar, said, hi, my name is Sheena. And as soon as it's that happened, I went, oh, oh no, yeah, yeah. oh, no, <laughs> oh, no, I know what he's going to do. I was like, oh, shit, I've remembered it now. I've remembered what happens. And I thought to myself, like, is this super duper offensive and, like, revolting and wrong and, and bloody bloody blah And I was going, no, it can't be. It's just a silly little song. But, man... You're right. He goes in. He yeah. fucking goes in two-footed on... I mean, I would say it's more kind of homophobic than it is uh, transphobic, really, because I'm not sure that there's no insinuation. He does say, but then, yeah, but then I don't know, because he does go, Sheena was a man. And it's mm. like, well, I went up to this girl, and then he's gone, no, you're a man. And <laughs> I am like, fucking hell, mate. Chill out. Like... Just say okay. Well, you know, maybe, um, maybe this isn't going to work out. Yeah. But the fact that he's gone, I fucking get you. I'm not <laughs> going to take fucking this. piece you of shit. Piece of I'll beat the fuck out of you. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's not the nicest. I'll be honest, mate. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's uh, he's uh, he's he's right up in it, isn't he? He's mm. right up in in that. Um, so you know, I did look. I, I listened to it, and I was like, well. I mean, like you say, I think back then, um, that definitely would have been a thing in hyper-masculine, aggressive music, which 
yeah. up in 1989 definitely was um and i think there'll be plenty of things that rappers said over the years that or what, musicians in general have said in songs over the years that you would go oh that hasn't aged well mm-hmm. and this lyrically hasn't really aged well but it's still well catchy well catchy you might want to check yeah. out wild thing i mean tone looked in i think uh, i don't want to listen to wild thing now <laughs> like like going fucking putting there going and the fucking jews have done it like, oh god oh, oh god tone, tone what have you no. done i learned a wild thing like the first globalist bastard <laughs> um and, oh god uh so I, I don't know i haven't listened to it for years and years and years i just remember this song but you know yeah i think it seems to have. I, I guess Tone Loke isn't big enough anymore for people to really remember him. Mm. And this song wasn't a huge. It got to number thirteen in the UK uh, singles chart. Um, it got to number three on the US Billboard Hot 100. It was, uh, you know, number eight in Australia, number ten in Canada, number three in New Zealand. Went gold in Australia. So it was like kind of. A fairly big hit, but not a massive, massive, massive hit. No. And it's one of those things that you listen to and you go, oh, I loved this when I was a kid. And then you listen back to it and you go, oh, yeah, lyrically, this is uh, this is quite the statement. Risque. That I didn't expect to mm. be putting out around this time. But still, um, there it is. I'm sad that you, uh, you that, that, that that's sort of been ruined for me now, unfortunately. Yeah. Sorry, mate. Yeah. But oh. I'd been thinking about it. Like, it kept cropping up. Yeah, because when you said... Do you know what I mean? It kept cropping up. It Ella Soul. Yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. then Aerosmith. Not Aerosmith. Kiss. Yeah, absolutely. It just... It, it, the spectre that haunts <laughs> Stephen Hill's mind. Hopefully now it has been exercised. <laughs> Quick, play Tubular Bells instead. That'll be fine. <laughs> mm. There you go. Uh, Funky Cole Medina. Get, I mean, give it a listen if you want. Don't really know. Yeah. Give it a listen. If you like it. If you like. Let's do a Twitter uh, poll. Is it is it wildly misogynistic and homophobic or is it just a bit fun? I think we know what the fucking result of that is. Yeah, I mean, I like a rigged election, so. Good. Yeah, yeah. big fan of Bolsonaro. Um, yeah, good. Uh, you went to see The Bug last night. That I did, mate, that I did. Go on, give us the old lowdown on that then, lad. Uh, so it was at Fabric, which uh, is not a, a venue I've ever visited before. As someone who's never particularly been into uh, well, clubbing um, or, you know, kind of dance hall culture or anything like that, I'd never even heard of Fabric. And I was talking to uh, some friends, uh, stroke regulars at the pub the week before. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to this gig at Fabric uh, next week. And they were like, oh, yeah, oh, that'd be brilliant. Like, have you ever been before? I was like, I've never even heard of it. And they said, it's the most famous club in London. I was like, oh, is. that shows what I know, doesn't it? I mean... For me, the most famous club night that I've been to in London is, I don't know, well, I haven't even been to anything at like the Underworld, so I haven't been to a club night in London. So, But anyway, moot point. Got to Fabric. My word, what a cool place that is. It is a cool venue, proper sort of super club feel. Um, so one of the few times I have been to a club, um, after my A-levels, me and my mates went on a holiday to Barcelona, which was lovely. And we went to this like mega club sort of on the outskirts of the city. And it had a bit of that on a much smaller scale. I really liked the feel of it. It was very sort of grimy and industrial. Um, it's not somewhere I'd probably want to go for a, a long time of sweaty dancing, basically. But that's just me. That's just me. I, I, it- I went to Fabric oh, in on. 2003. Mm. My housemate when I was at drama school, 2003, 
he loved like I don't even know what it was, like trance, hard trance. Okay. Right, hard hardcore trance. He loved it. And he's like, oh, there's a trance night, a big trance night on at Fabric. And I lived in Essex. And so what we would occasionally have to tend to do if we were to go in central London, you can get the tube from where I lived into central London and then either go back early, yeah. get the last tube, or you're fucking stuck there all night and you had to wait until the first train on a Sunday morning, which is like eight o'clock in the morning. And my mate was like, look, we're going to go. Go out all night. We went to Fabric and we got in at about 11 o'clock, which I feel now was way too early. And <laughs> I was going to say, that's my went, bedtime, surely. Well, we, I was going, what should we do? Like, should we go? Like, where, you know, should we go for, to try and get a night bus or get a taxi? Or like, we, I stayed there till six in the morning. It's the only time I've been to Fabric. I stayed there till six in the morning. And my mate Dave, took a load of pills and was just dancing all night and I ended up just sort of finding a corner behind a radiator to <laughs> sit in. I was like, oh my God, I'm fucking going to die here, aren't I? So that's my only recollection of Fabric, although I am seeing clipping there in a few weeks, so that would be much better, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, I must say, as a venue, absolutely fantastic. And the sound system they had in there, I mean, it makes so much sense that the bug and clipping would want to play there because when the bug came on stage, so um, there was a, a solo set from <laughs> Disfig before... Um, which was really, well, really powerful. I, it's a difficult one to review this because I don't feel I've really got the sort of vocabulary or understanding of these genres, but I can say that I had a fantastic night. Um, this fig, this kind of experimental sort of Bjork by way of hard electronica kind of set, uh, played for about 40 odd minutes, I think, um, but it went by in a flash and it was kind of one continuous piece almost. There were, you know, moments where she'd step away from her kit or, you know, have the microphone down. But it was these building layers of sort of ambient noise and then vocal sampling done live. It just made this absolute cacophony. It's really cool. Um, popped out for a, a little vape as I did, like the nerd I am. And in that time, uh, me and my mates, we just stood out there, probably only about maybe 10, 15 minutes. And by the time we got back, Bismuth were already almost finished. I think they only played for about 10 minutes. Um, but what we saw of them was really cool. Just really heavy, kind of extreme, like, doom drone. And that was, it was interesting. They definitely felt like the outlier on the night, but I can see why they were there because it, the name of the game was all about heavy bass frequencies and just paralyzing volume. I mean, when we reviewed um, the Bugs' latest release, Absent Rhythm, a few weeks ago, you described it as fucking paralyzing. And I definitely got where you were coming from seeing it live. So the bug came out and um, did a few tracks just himself, uh, sort of, you know, mixing and um, kind of interweaving different elements across all his various bits of equipment um, and had vocals played through the PA and everything. And then Disfig came out and did a bit of a set with him, which leaned more into the ambient side of his stuff, which from what I understand is kind of more in his Kevin Richard Martin persona rather than the bug stuff. He's released a couple of albums this year. Um, what uh, I think I believe one was called Nightcrawler uh, and that was really cold and quite nasty. Um, and yeah, it, it was seriously oppressive. I mean, the whole night was oppressive, but it got a lot more, I suppose, enjoyable and danceable when Logan came out for the start of the, I suppose, the set proper. So it was billed as The Bug with Flo Dan, Manga St. Hilaire and Logan. Uh, and Logan came out and did Clash from Fire. And my word, it was aggressive. Nice. And the 
bass frequencies, the subs, you could feel your, you know, your clothes rattle around you. And then when it really kicked in, you feel like your organs grinding against each other. It was quite an experience. Really, really cool. Um, there aren't loads of individual songs I can pick out from the night because it did kind of flow as one continuous set. But Logan came out and did a few songs and was absolutely fantastic. He did at one point do uh, Judgment Time from Absent Rhythm. So it was really cool to hear that material live. And as I say, it made so much more sense. It was so claustrophobic, um, but in a uh, you know, kind of strangely enjoyable way. And then Manga St. Hilaire came out. Um, across the Night did Function uh, and several of his other songs that he's done with the bug across uh, Angels and Devils and Fire. He absolutely stole the show. He was fucking incredible. What a force of nature. What a personality. He was able to toe this line of just being genuinely joyously entertaining and then also incredibly threatening at times. Like when he was going for super fast passages, you know, um, and these kind of really intricate rhymes, it was <laughs> almost scary at times. But uh, yeah, he was brilliant. I think he... In terms of the individual performers on stage, Manga St. Hilaire did the most for me that night. There was a point where both Manga and Logan were on stage and they did um, basically the kind of latter, or the end part of the set, so the last 20, 25 minutes was the two of them trading vocals back and forth. And they did do uh, an abridged version of Skeng from London Zoo, which is a song I've brought in as a song of the week uh, previously. Yeah, it was a really vicious one. And I was surprised that they were doing it and um, Flodan didn't turn up because he, he does the chorus of that song. And this, this abridged version was basically them getting sort of some crowd participation of people doing the chorus of Skeng, uh, which I think we had uh, confirmed is the bug's sort of biggest hit, so to speak. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, unfortunately, um, and I saw a tweet from the bug earlier just this morning saying, we're really sorry Flodan couldn't make it. Um, there were sort of logistical issues. Life gets in the way. Really sorry about it, but we hope you all had a good night. And I did have a fantastic night. It was a shame he wasn't there just because I think of the MCs that I've heard the bug work with, especially on fire, he's the one that I've gravitated to uh, towards the most. I just think his cadence and his flow and delivery is absolutely staggering. I didn't necessarily feel that the light, night was lacking from it, but I think if I'd have known in advance, I wouldn't have been there waiting and then when it finished, be like, oh, I guess he's not coming then. However, it's all a bit of a moot point because it was about the volume and the power of everything that was going on. And it was a really quite hypnotic experience. Um, and there was a definitely sort of divide in the audience of people who were going for a kind of like DJ set club night kind of thing and really getting into it and dancing. And then nerds like me who were kind of stood at the back going, oh yes, oh, he's done a very good job <laughs> sort of building that PA and really leveling out those frequencies. Oh, how, how impressive and powerful. It was great. Had a fantastic time. I'd love to go and see him again. He is playing, well, by the time you hear this, he will have played in Leeds last night. He is playing in Manchester night. Uh, so the day this goes out, the Friday night, playing in Manchester with Manga and a special guest who... To be honest, I'd be stunned if it wasn't Justin Broderick. So if you hear this and you're on the fence, get down to that because you're probably going to basically get a kind of JK Flesh zonal set in the middle of it all. And that'd be lovely. Wow, nice. Yeah, cool. That sounds really good. I mean, I I meant to... Uh, I meant to just sort of... I was thinking about maybe going down to that. I mean, actually, this isn't that interesting, but <laughs> I nearly bought a last-minute Sugar Babes ticket for last night when you were watching ah. the park. And I thought to myself... I, the, got sold on twickets i was on the, the, the pr 
precipice of buying it. And then it started raining and I was like, ah, fuck it. <laughs> uh, and then someone bought it, so fuck it. But yeah, yeah man, that sounds really, really good. That does sound good. Um, it, it was excellent. It was an experience unlike any I've really had. Because I've, nev <laughs> I've never been to a, a DJ set with MCs before. It was really cool. Mm. I would like to go to more of that kind of thing. I'd definitely love to see the bug again. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Well, um, that's good to know. Right. Let's talk about a few things. Firstly, I think we should start with um, the fact that uh, we should say R.I.P. to Takeoff um, from Migos, who was uh, was shot dead at the age of twenty eight mm. just this week. Only as we record, kind of two days ago. Um, now, I'm mentioning this because. Um, you know, I I am not going to sit here and pretend like I know loads about Migos. I remember Versace, the song Versace coming out, what's that, 10 years ago? Um, and this is when I wasn't really paying much, if any, attention to hip-hop at all. And I didn't really kind of get on with it straight away. Mm -hmm. So, But it's funny because it came on a playlist that I was listening to uh probably about six eight months ago and i was like oh i know this song and i was like actually that is a good that is a pretty fucking good song that that is a pretty good song and you know i know even though i couldn't sit here and tell you what the best migos album is or you know i couldn't give you a deep cut from young rich nation or anything i am aware that over the past decade they've been an incredibly influential important and popular hip-hop act um coming from kind of georgia that georgia that kind of atlanta georgia scene that has produced so many fucking amazing artists over the years and has such a kind of unique style of its own and um it's it's way too young 28 yeah for someone to be losing their life and it's another thing where um I, I guess I've, I've seen a few people uh, in response to this. Mm. I mean, quite a few people giving it the old, uh, oh, well, you know, what do you expect? This is the hip hop community just do this. And uh, I, like, I, I, that's really feels kind of irrelevant to me in a situation like this because somebody who is immensely popular, very, very talented has had, has been killed, um, you know, over, I would imagine something pretty unsubstantial. Yeah. And what a fucking horrible thing. So look, I'm not a massive Migos fan. I'm not a massive fountain of wealth or knowledge of Migos, but I did think we should mention it because these things are always really, these things are, anyone dying is always really sad. Um, sort of. I mean, what we're about to talk about, <laughs> maybe not. Yeah. But, um, uh, but this one does feel like, like a real kind of, a real actual tragedy do you know what i mean so yeah r.i.p to him yeah absolutely i mean um i am basically completely unaware of migos i kind of am aware of their reputation but i don't know for sure that i've heard any of the music from this collective and yeah 28 i mean it's it's my age it's no age to be losing your life and you know as you say it's got to be something sort of fairly unsubstantial i mean i can't really think of anything <laughs> worth losing your life over particularly you know no sort yeah. of there's no argument that i could actually foresee where i feel that a, a kind of a fair result is someone having their life cut short at such a young age um yeah absolutely horrible this so. mm, yeah it is really sad uh so i repeat to him and also to jerry lee lewis 
right? Now, Jerry Lee Lewis passed away at the age of 87. I was amazed to hear that Jerry Lee Lewis was alive, to be honest. But then I have... Same like Angela Lansbury. I just thought, oh, she, she's dead, isn't she? Surely. But like, um, no, <laughs> apparently not. Well, they are now. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's one of those people you hear they die and you go, well, I thought they were actually were dead. Although I, I think I heard that he'd released an album a few years ago. Um, and Jerry Lee Lewis is, you know, one of the the final survivors of the 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 golden age of the birth of rock and roll, I mm. guess. But let's not say for a second that his life was all, you know, this is going to be some big, you know, tribute to uh, a great man or whatever, because Jerry Lee Lewis is not necessarily a particularly um, desirable human being. He's done some things, and let's be honest as well, pretty much everyone, from that scene when you go back has done some things that now would be I mean we were just talking about Tone Loke mm. if you want to fucking expand what you feel about Tone Loke by about a thousand then I guess you know Elvis Phil Spector Jody Lewis, Lewis yeah, um, even Johnny Johnny Cash um, Chuck Ozzy in there it's Chuck Ozzy in there as well uh, you know he did try and murder his wife after all um, you know like uh, he's done some really fucking some things which on paper today look really, really hor horrific. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like really, really horrific. I mean, but, I, I think there are some things that he did that in their day would have been horrific on paper. Um, you know, there, there's, there, there are some things that are sort of that, you know, cultural difference and age and whatnot. I'm not sure I'm actually willing to defend any of them in terms of it was a different time. But yeah, there's, there's, there's some nasty shit. I mean, I... I didn't, you know, I knew the name Jerry Lee Lewis. I didn't really know the extent of the kind of controversies and well, sort of alleged crimes that plagued his life. Um, yeah, he's a, he was a wrong one. He was a wrong He was definitely a wrong one. Absolutely a wrong one. I mean, I think the thing is, like, you know, he was a drunk, drug addict, um, aggressive womanizer mm. and i think the thing is that in the 1950s um if you look back on the sort of the, the history of rock and roll and all that kind of stuff um i think people like jerry Lee lewis like kind of they they are responsible for shaking um the the kind of general malaise of of what was quite a kind of uptight society uh so i think you kind of on one hand, you go, well, there's somebody who is not <laughs> mentally right uh, or morally right in a lot of ways, but mm. is kind of culturally responsible for what would then be the sort of birth of the 1960s and the, the kind of hard rock revival and all these kind of things. Like, you know, it's the thing that we were saying a few weeks ago regarding Michael Jackson. It's the mm. same things that I would I would say regarding... Um, <clears throat> Well, Elvis, uh, John Lennon, etc., etc. You know, I mean, Phil Spector died uh, yeah. a year ago, a year and a bit ago, and and the thing about that is, is you kind of well, you know, Phil Spector's um, people say, well, should should be like oh, a murderer has died, but you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't cover that. You know, the only reason this is even being mentioned is because it is Jerry Lee Lewis who was such a kind of foundational part of the birth of rock and roll, and that um, does deserve to be acknowledged. 
whether or not you think he was a bad person or not and i mean you probably do think he was a bad person because he let's was. be honest yeah <laughs> he was a bad person yeah. he was uh he seemed like a fucking horrible person but it's funny, you know like uh, i don't know man there's something about um there's something about uh th- not being able to see that like the allowing i th- i think you know we've said this a whole bunch of times before but you've kind of got to allow both things to be true because both things are true you know, so let's not go like, oh, R.I.P. I'm so sad for Jerry Lee Lewis. Oh, what a kind of, you know, what a, what a sad thing has happened that this 87 year old man who's you've done some fucking mad, like bizarre and like morally reprehensible things in his life. Mm. Like, I'm not going to be fucking shedding any tears for Jerry Lee Lewis, but I'm also not going to be denying that the impact that he's created upon popular culture is phenomenal. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't think you can really say fairer than that. And again, actually going back to, you know, the conversation we had, particularly with Merkage Dave a few weeks ago, it's like, I think you've just got to sort of set your own barometer in how you want to feel about these people or how, not even how you want to feel about these people, how you do feel about these people. I mean, for me, Hmm. you know, I'm not going to deny the impact of Jerry Lee Lewis's work, but I'm never going to listen to it because he just strikes me as this like awful bloke an important figure but you know it's different strokes for different folks in it yeah i mean you don't need to listen to it do you know no, what i mean, no, I mean you know, like yeah. in, in 2022 you don't need to go and listen to fucking jerry d lewis albums i mean i don't think you're going to hear anything on that 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 you wouldn't get from a endless kind of rock back like you know listen to chart berry or little richard yeah do that yeah like if you have to listen to one of those things like i would say that's probably the 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 kind of artist that you want to listen to but you know let's not pretend like chuck berry was a nice guy no. i mean little richard was considered the fucking devil because it, you know because he was gay and mm. black like that was the time then um and it's mad now like all you know well it's not mad it's sensible if it was mad then it was mad then that you could marry your 13 year old cousin and people were going oh dear what what a slap on the what, wrist what what a cantankerous old fella that guy is but just for being gay and black it was like you are the devil mm. you must be die you must die like that so you know it's better that way isn't it really yeah. but anyway Jerry Lee Lewis has passed away his contribution to rock music is um is clear yeah and and um you know very very obvious uh I think the thing personally which I've gone oh no the most this week um, has happened just before we started recording today. And that is Lingwig Nota, Kristen Hayter's solo project, which, you know, I have spoken about a bunch of times in podcast form. I am sh- I know you haven't as much, Sam, but I know you are hugely, hugely uh, enamoured mm. by Lingwig Nota. And I, I, I always struggle to use the word fan of Lingwig Nota because it's such viscerally difficult music to listen to that that fan almost feels sort of almost like you're you're being a bit kind of flippant about it yeah it does seem like it's kind of undermining the gravity of of her artwork um yeah would i call myself a lingua ignota fan maybe if you want to put that label on it i um admire her work enormously uh, i think it's some of the most staggeringly captivatingly difficult um but just so impactful art that i've ever heard i mean caligula (coughs) it's not an album i go back to often but i would consider it one of the great albums of all time in in my lifetime in my reckoning you know in terms of things that i've heard and instantly known i mean this is going to be a a, a landmark 
forever. Like it's always going to stand as a landmark in in its form, in its style, in its presentation, and everything. Um, I I remember actually um, in twenty nineteen you you talking about sort of um, where you'd place Caligula in an end of year list, and it's like, well, it's either the best album or it shouldn't be counted at all because there's no way you can actually see it as an. <laughs> It, it's so hard to compare to any other piece of work that exists, uh, well, that certainly existed in 2019 that was released that year. Um, I mean, I, I do think Do You Doubt Me, Traitor, for example, off that album, was was probably, again, not favourite, but perhaps the most captivating song I heard that year. I think she is an incredible artist. Incredible. Um, did, you, did you ever see Lingua Ignota or Christian Hater in her Lingua Ignota persona? I didn't know. I'm quite gutted that okay. I didn't actually. Now I'm particularly gutted because when Caligula came out, uh, I, I actually, I said when Caligula came out, like, I don't ever, I'm not sure I ever want to listen to this ever again, even though I think it's amazing. Yeah. And I have listened to it a fair few times since. And the impact of it never dulls. No. But I do find myself going, okay, well, I, at least I know what's coming now. You mm. know, there were, it took me a while to even be able to appreciate what was coming when, yeah. it, when, when it came out in 2019. Every time I'd go, this is going to be hard work. And then I'd put it on and go, well, it's actually way more hard work than even I appreciated. Whereas I think now I'm like, okay, I, I know that it's going to be that. Yeah. And, um, so I have gone back and listened to it um, now and again. I mean, I, I, I find myself actually um, uh, being more able to listen to uh, the album that came out last year. It's called Cinegate Ready, that's it. Yes. Um, Cinegate Ready, which I think is brilliant as well. I mean, I think at the time I was like, oh, it's a bit of a step down. But I actually, listening back to that, I think that's a fucking amazing record. And it... It 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 did something that is, you know, that is related, but I don't think it it bears comparison to no. to Caligula. Um, and I thought to myself, oh, she's kind of finding a way to pull herself out of this incredibly difficult, mentally challenging for listener, and if it's challenging for me, it must be incredibly challenging for her to write and perform and compose mm. and stuff. So. Um, yeah, and, and then, you know, she played London while I was in, on holiday, so I, I, I didn't go to that. My mate texted me, he's like, are you going to go to this? And then I was like, oh, fuck. And it was when I was on holiday, I was like, yeah. fuck, I can't go. And I think I would have been ready to see it now, mm. um, which makes me doubly kind of pissed off that I didn't see it sort of first time around on Caligula because I kind of bottled it. I kind of bottled going to see it. I could have gone. And I was like, oh, I'm not ready for this yet. I'm just not ready. I'll see it another time. And, I, and now I won't be seeing it, I guess. No, no. I mean, I absolutely under, understand what you say. I'm really gutted I missed, uh, well, both, uh, either or both of the uh, Earth shows last month. Um, I just couldn't make it work logistically. And now that I know that that, that project has been put to bed, um, and I think for you know really respectable reasons, um, obviously, I am gutted that I'm not going to see that Cinegate Ready stuff because it did feel like the kind of, I suppose now we're looking at it kind of retrospectively, now that Lingua Ignota is over as that sort of form of Kristen Hater's body of work, it's like Cine Get Ready makes sense as a finale. It does feel like something approaching resolution of what she was talking about on All Bitches Die and Caligula and Let, yeah, yeah, let, yeah. let the evil, uh, evil of Him Cover Him With His Own Lips. 
I did see uh, Lingard Nose myself, actually. I went to the Oslo show on Caligula. And at the time, quite a while after, I did think... I, I found it almost... Uh, at the time, I think I found it a bit underwhelming, which is a mad thing to say in retrospect because it's like, I'm basically expecting this woman to relive this trauma to the horrific extent that it hit me with on the album night after night for the sake of mine and other people's entertainment. I think that's a really selfish attitude. Um, and yeah, uh, I, I don't think I was ready to see Lumeroo Nota when I did. So I am doubly gutted, like yourself, that I'm, I didn't see those um, Oslo... Uh, those, um, earth shows um but yeah i think that ties into why i am fully in support of her moving on to whatever her next project is because i hope it will be something that she finds more sort of spiritually fulfilling without need for kind of really aggressive catharsis because the things she details on those three albums is is horrifying um and i just hope she's in a better place for, for her next yeah. project and I can't wait to hear what comes next yeah I mean I want to shout out my mate Sean who actually was the one who was like oh I'm going to Lingwood Note are you going and I texted him this morning and was like oh fuck I'm totally gutted now mm. and um, and he said the show I saw was legit perfect incomparable but I can imagine that her earlier shows were even more intense um, yeah I mean the, and then he's, the Oslo show sorry to cut you off the Oslo show was mostly her sort of walking through the audience with this like floodlight kind of tied around an neck small floodlight and just mm. screaming into the void and it was it was it, hard hard to be in that room yeah and then he said i mean i get it it's either exhausting doing it every night or she phones it in i wouldn't want either which is a very very good point i yeah. think a very good point yeah. um this is what she posted this morning on instagram from the heart these upcoming dates and a few things in early 2023 will be the last time I performed this music. I have so much gratitude for what has been afforded me and the beauty of the community that has gathered around what I do. Committing myself to this project and all that comes with it has also been acutely painful. This time last year, I was non-functional. Then, out of desperation, I gave myself permission to heal for the first time. There is still so much work for me to do, but these months of personal growth have allowed me to see myself clearly, my strength and my shortcomings. Every day, I do conscious, active work to stay present where I am safe rather than mine in my past, where I was not. I will not allow my wounds to destroy me. I want to live a healthy, happy life and have changed much in myself and my surroundings to bring that light in. As such, the art has to change too. It's not healthy for me to relive my worst experiences over and over uh, through Lingering Nota and my healing has finally allowed me to feel how painful that is. I am taking a new direction with my music and I am looking forward to the future. I want to let you know in light of some very cool things that will be announced soon that I'm retiring this catalogue, this pain, this era is over for me. I will give my final performances of this music everything I have and I look forward to the actual great pleasure of interpreting hymns for you. Revelations is upon us, gentle friends. It's okay to let go. Thank you for sharing the dark with me. It's time to move forward. K. That is a really, really cool statement, a really mm -hmm. honest statement. Um, just makes me like her even more, yeah. to be honest. I think that's really good. And it's, um, uh, you know, it's funny because last week we were talking about, it, it, very different, obviously. We were saying big bands, U2. Why don't you 2 just do what the fuck they like? They just do it. Like, they don't need the money. They could just do fucking any shit that they wanted to do. They could really experiment. They could do, you know, they used to. What's going on? Um, and uh, 
I think it's amazing when artists who, you know, like she's not going to be making loads of money from doing Lingering Note Earth. So I think, I, but she obviously, the freedom artistically for her to do what she wants is something which she, which is obviously very important to her. And she's just going to fucking do it. I mean, I uh, like, I think so many bands get trapped in, oh, we talked about Jonathan Davis earlier. Oh, I'm going to go and perform Daddy. I'm going to mm. go and relive that stuff. And he's doing it because... You know, he's doing it for the fans and I, you know, I, I appreciate that he was like, right, I'm going to kind of give the fans something that they've never seen before. That's cool. But I do also think the kind of, you know, not being held prisoner by something that you wrote years and years and years ago. Again, something else we spoke about last week, Architects, you must do Hollow Crown again. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, um, and they haven't, to be fair to them. But, you know, like people want to hold these bands to these standards where they're like, you were like that years ago. Why aren't you like that anymore? Why aren't Metallica still making Master Ride the Lightning? Why? Yeah, yeah. Like, why, why, why? You know, like, why are the Arctic Monkeys? Why, you know, why aren't you doing, you know, kind of jaunty English um, fucking working class town, you know, indie anymore? Well, we're millionaires now, so it doesn't really fit. Do you know what I mean? It's a, mm. it's a really hard thing to do. So in a lot of ways, walking away from it the way she has done i think is uh i think is really cool so fair play to her and you're right sam you know um uh she's good she's amazing she said she's good she's really good she is yeah. Amazing. yeah uh but hey if you're into metal <laughs> we have to talk we have to talk about this just because i don't know man there's so there's not so much going on really is it i mean there's a few things um i Matt Healy talking about Metallica. Obviously, if you're into metal at all, you've probably heard about this. Although you've just become aware of one of the biggest bands in the world by the scenes <laughs> of things, which is you know good. Um, who? Who even I've, are they? Who? Well, I've well I've picked the, the guy metal from sucks. the what? <laughs> the Prince Prince who? <laughs> who is he? Who do you want? Prince who? He does just says just says Prince doesn't like Shine Down. How can yeah some bloke bloody not like madonna who's madonna who's madonna and why is she slagging off alice oh you're piggybacking alice cooper are you <laughs> madonna whoever you are it's weird um yes. i've picked the metal sucks uh article of it because the headline is pop singer you've probably never heard of i mean you're a music website i know you're a metal website but come on lads pop singer you've probably never heard of he's not the bassist he's not the fucking synth player from hertz <laughs> No, no, he's not. He's not someone who used to be in soft cell 30 years ago. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? It's absolutely mad. Like, the the one who let Richie from five. Like, come on, it's Matty Healy from 1975. That's mental. Anyway, it says, man, there are takes and there are takes. And this statement by the 1975's Matty Healy is a nuclear-grade take. Metallica is worst band of all time. I know what you're saying. Matt who... I mean, no, I'm not saying... He's, no. He's not Matt Heafy, not, a much more recognisable music a figure. A much more uh. famous person, Matt Heafy. Uh, he called the biggest band in the world... He called out the biggest band in the world. I don't know if they're the biggest... I mean, again, it's I'm not sure inaccurate. Yeah, you know. I fucking hate Metallica, my worst band of all time. Um, Would you care to elaborate like on them. that, Matt? No, he doesn't seem to, you know... He doesn't seem to, um, uh, you know. Yeah. He says, I've always been a big metal fan. I was never into Metallica. I like Slayer and bands like that. Stuff. That, I mean, he sounds like a metal. That to <laughs> me is, he sounds exactly like a metal fan. Um, stuff that I was into is bands like Converge, 
Con- converge. I don't know why I said it like maybe he said it. Converge, glass jaw, the more post hardcore kind of stuff. I soup into poison a well. I mean, refuse is probably my favorite heavy metal band of all time. Mm. Uh, that was a big deal for me. I was in the Despair Collective, the AFI fan club, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, you know, he's obviously got fairly good taste there. Poison a well, Converge, Glassjaw, yep. Refuse. He likes good stuff. Um, he likes Slayer and he doesn't like Metallica. He sounds like exactly the sort of person that like you would expect. Everyone who listened to Metallica before 1991 who got upset when they wrote, like, well, to be fair some less good music apart from load and bits of the black album but yeah he's he's basically an into he's he's a metalhead on the internet isn't he clearly he's yeah, a metalhead on he the is. internet he sounds sounds pretty legit to me mate sounds yeah. pretty legit to me um i mean he's he's also they said so take that how you will there are plenty of metal out there in the world that dislike metallica especially the band they've become in the recent decades but to call them the worst that's a little crazy coming from a band that hasn't quite reached international stardom <laughs> what I think they have actually, lads. Uh, and has a long sure way to go have. to match, a long way to go to match Metallica's records and sales and accolades, um, which obviously is so we're always told is um, by metal metal fans are always saying, oh, just because something's popular doesn't mean it's good. Mm. You're now using Metallica's record sales to back up the fact that you have to like them. They have um, done that, yeah. They have so done that. So you kind of undermined quite a lot there, old metal sucks. Unfortunately, uh, he hasn't actually called them the worst. As he's called them his least. They're his least favourite band. Now, people do pick weird least favourite bands. I saw somebody once when uh, something tweeted about, oh, what's a, who are the worst band of all time? And somebody put the Beastie Boys, which what? I thought was absolute, yeah, I know, absolutely bizarre to pick the Beastie Boys as the worst. I mean, God, even if you don't like the Beastie Boys, and, you know, you're a massive fucking pedo if you don't like the Beastie <laughs> Boys, frankly. But... Jesus. OPM, Hot Action Cop, yeah. like, fucking... There are so many shitty Beastie Boys ripoffs that have come in the aftermath of Beastie Boys. It's sure, surely worse. Surely. Wow. But anyway, know. but anyway, look, you might have a thing. Like I always try and think like who are, well, hey, we might be getting back on that train quite soon about finding who actually are the worst band and what the worst album ever is. Because yeah. I think it is quite an interesting conversation to really go, what really is the really, really the worst? So Matty Healy, he's mad. If he thinks Metallica are the worst band ever, well, he's a fucking fool, isn't he? He's an absolute fool. But um, but people always picking stupid bands to be like the quote unquote worst band ever. I know what real bad music is. Mm. I bloody trust me, trust me. Yeah, like if you haven't heard the fucking uh, the, the 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 Broken Side album, yeah. Then uh, if you haven't heard the symphonic true true symphonic orchestra, and you can't talk to me about bad music, mate. I am telling you, I I am I am the expert. I am the Stephen Hawking of <laughs> bad music theory. Trust me. Um, so yeah, it's a weird. It is a weird thing to say, but um, you know, people went fucking nuts in for saying that. Mm. It's funny actually because Metalhammer posted it just after they posted an article that I'd written, going, "Do you know what? Lulu's quite good." And they were mm. like, "Fucking Metallica, are shit! Fuck Metallica!" And then someone else goes, "Metallica, are shit!" Fuck you! <laughs> Who the fuck are you? So it was, it was, a, it was an interesting few hours. I thought when this all yes. kicked off. What an amusing bit of serendipity! It was, wasn't it? I liked it. Yeah, I know you did. You've, you've been having a right laugh about this all week on Twitter, aren't you? Oh, there's somebody who said that I liked Adele. Yeah. So go, go and fucking. Oh, why are you writing for a metal magazine? Sticking up for the 1975. So because some of went, oh, their failure of an album. It's like they've had five number one albums on the trot. Yeah. And I just went, well, their album got to number one, so it's not a failure, is it? 
Oh, why are you sticking up for the 1975? You're saying they're better than Metallica? It's like, no. It was, no. Why, why are you comparing Metallica to the, ni- well, no, the 1975 to Metallica Hill, which I assume is quite a sort of nice residential area in the Bay Area or something like that. Metallica Hill. <laughs> I'd live there. But uh, yeah, that was amusing. He's, he's a disgrace to his family name, the 89167, whatever his name is. That fucking, yeah, that was, what an idiot. You did that joke. You did that joke. It was good. It was good that, yeah. Yeah, yeah but for yeah, people yeah, who don't yeah. follow me on Twitter and need to know you should about my, my hilarious insights mm. that don't come across good here. That. Yeah. Yeah. Good. It was good. Um, just give me a like. Yeah. I just need the likes. But we want to get Matty Healy on the fucking show to talk about Converge and Refuse. That's what I want. I've been trying. I've, I saw that and I was like, well, he should be talking to us about it. Because if he'd have said to me, I'll refuse to my heavy, favourite heavy metal band, I would have gone, whoa, 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 whoa. They're, <laughs> hold on, they're not a heavy metal hold band. On, hold on, hold on. Let's, let's. Let's unpa- unpack what you've just it. said. And then and then I'd probably get loads of abuse from me like, oh, when you had to, oh, it's not name three songs and all that. And I'm not, I'm not doing that. But then I would go also, have you heard their last album? Because I think that would put you off a bit. Do you think, uh, yeah, actually, to be fair, I was going to say, oh, do you think war music's worse than freedom? But it's like, no, they, they are both bad. I think war music is the Nadir, definitely. Yeah, war music's really bad, yeah. really quite bad. What a fall from it's grace. Not, it's not the worst though, because um, I like this. I brought this in for a little, a little bit. This is like a little bit of a. And finally, <laughs> <laughs> a squirrel was seen with on a paraglider. Yeah, here's here's the An- worst band of all time. Anthony Kiedis was caught ruining something again. Um, the Red Hot Chili Peppers covered "Smells Like Teen Spirit," right? So they played Silver Lake Conservatory mm. of music. Sorry, I didn't see that. The, the Silver Lake Conservatory of music on Saturday. 29th of October yeah and they covered Smells Like Teen Spirit uh, and it's the first time they've ever covered it it didn't play the whole song I don't think ended their set with it weirdly just like oh, I'll see you later mm. um I don't really know how to uh I don't know how to describe this um it's inept to the point where Either, I mean, watching it makes it worse, but even if you just listen to the audio of this performance, um, I think there are people who've been victims of war crimes <laughs> who've probably had a nicer time than the world has had listening to Anti-Kiedis go, bring your friend to California. Fucking, oh, uh, yeah, he, he is the worst that, professional musician of all time. He is the worst. He's bad, isn't he? I mean, like... so He's, the, he's the, an embarrassment. The, the problem with this is, is that, like... The thing about the Red Chili Peppers is they are uh, a kind of a quote-unquote credible rock artist, right? They're a proper music and blah, blah, oh, blah. Yeah. If someone did Smells Like Teen Spirit on X Factor, and they did a kind of Alexandra burked up Smells Like Teen Spirit, you'd be outraged. Mm. You'd be like, how can... This is this song is not supposed to... This was not supposed to happen. This was not supposed to happen to this song. It would represent the alternative. And whether or not any of that is true, you know, I think obviously there's a lot of um uh quite empty sloganeering about alternative rock was different and da 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 and you know nirvana were on a major label and that song connected with people i think it did connect with lots of people on a very very deep level mm-hmm. clearly it did with me uh, undoubtedly i probably wouldn't be sitting here talking to you were it not for nirvana i don't think um and you know like it's a really really big kind of important song so if someone was to do a kind of shitty pop version of it 
like a kind of boy bandy prettied up version of it you people who love that song would probably be like this is not what this is meant to represent no and yet red hot chili peppers weirdly get a kind of pass even though kedis is going like, you know fucking vic reeves in it yeah. <laughs> No, I don't. A dirty word. Like, mate, he, yeah. he he puts as many letters from the alphabet in in a four-letter word that aren't that isn't there as he possibly can on that. It's really, 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 really bad. And then just John Frusciante comes in and just fucking wails the chorus. Mm. And it is it, it is really bad. This. I mean, this is ultimately not really much of a of an actual news story. It's just a much needed chance to give the Red Hot Chili Peppers a, you know, a slap on the wrist, but they do, they keep doing it themselves. They're in a rut, this band. Mm. They're in a rut. I saw. It has lasted 25 years, but, uh, just the 25. Mm, well, we'll, we'll I would see. say we'll so. See. Well, you know, each their own. Uh, I did see, I think it was, um, spin.com. I think they did a best to worst ranking of the Red Hot Chili Peppers all their albums and the mm. latest one that return of the dream canteen or whatever it is that was quite low down so it's like even even people who like them think they're bad these days well do you know actually louder did uh chili peppers worst of best and they put one hot minute but it was dave everly like, like calling dave you everly. out well dave i don't know what you're thinking mate putting one hot minute bottom they're only good album i know Blood Sugar Sex Magic is good as well. But their best album, One Hot Minute, mm. put it bottom. Absolutely mad, mad shit. And that last one, I mean, what's it called? Electronic Love or some shit. Like Unlimited Love, middle, I think. Like, oh, yeah. oh. Uh, I, on reflection, uh, I I like the Muse album more than I like the Red Hot Chili Peppers album. Yeah, because at least the Muse album is a hilarious car crash, whereas... The Red Hot Chili Peppers is like your car crashing because you've had white phosphorus thrown in your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. Uh, yeah, it is like but but you're right, it is like that. It is exactly like that, yeah. It's um, just like that. Yeah, I hate them. Um, and actually, sorry, just as a quick thing, uh, the, the, the two sort of take, well, the three takes I've seen on this, obviously, the take is, my God, what an embarrassing band, this is shit. I, was still, I saw someone going, can't believe everyone's having a go at them for just doing a fun cover at a charity do. And it's like, yeah, fair enough. But then the other one is like, people are going, oh my God, I mean, like, Anthony Kiedis obviously sounds dreadful, but the rest of the band pull it off quite well. No, they don't. John Frusciante sounds like shit on it as well. Stop, it's not the hardest stop bloody giving him a fucking pass. I've seen about 15 fucking school bands play this song over there. It's not a difficult song to play. You're gonna pat Red Hot Chili, but you're gonna pat, pat Flea on the bass for being able to do <laughs> pat him on the bass, <laughs> pat him on the bass, pat him on the back for being able to do the bass line to Smells Like Teen Spirit. All four pat notes, all four John Frusciante on the back. I can play, yeah. like it's not a hard song, it's a great song. Oh, it's yeah. not a hard song to play. Got re- ridiculous, anyway. I don't want to talk about that shit anymore. Let's talk about some albums that are out or are coming out or are have been out for a little while in the case of the last one we'll do mm. um start with backwash his happiness shall come first even if we are suffering that is the name of the new album by backwash 
the fourth full-length album from the Quebec-based alternative rapper, the follow-up to last year's I Lie Here Buried With My Rings and Dresses record, which I believe was my third favourite album of last year, I think. It, it was either your third, it might have been your second, but I don't, rem- I don't remember what I was talking about. It was, it was high up in your end of year list. I think it was Dave, Brandy we- Carlisle and Backwash were my top. I feel like Backwash might have been above Brandy Carlisle. But anyway, hey. Maybe. A- answers on a postcard. <clears throat> yeah, I-, I thought I'd put that. I mean, I think I, I do listen to that more than I listen to that Brandy Carlisle album now, to be right. perfectly honest. Um, I put in my notes here. I was brilliant. I think I meant it was brilliant, <laughs> but I, I, well, I was were. brilliant. Oh, I was. Red yeah. letter show, that one. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was brilliant. I have really, really fucking loved discovering Backwash. When the pandemic started, I think God has nothing to do with this. Mm. Leave him out of it was like a wicked album. Very, very quick. Very sort of surprising. Felt really unique and really, really exciting. And then you know rings and dresses i'm just gonna call it that uh came out last year and i would say the quantum leap from that album to the next album was massive Mm. massive that album is fucking brilliant but everything she's done has been amazing so far thus far uh i think it's a hard record to have to follow up by liar buried my rings and dresses really really difficult record to follow up because that was such a cool album um with so many different new ideas and it felt like so much was crammed into it and she got everything right got absolutely everything about that record just felt like it was bullseye on the money so i'm always a little bit scared when i get an album that is following up with you know what i consider to be uh near on nigh on perfect record Mm. so i was a little bit nervous going into this funnily enough i can understand that um i totally agree with that assessment in terms of backwash's trajectory so i haven't heard um whatever her i I suppose first album is i i've heard god has nothing to do with this leave him out of it and uh, i lie here buried with my rings and dresses i thought god has nothing to do with it was absolutely amazing i mean when you brought it in to the podcast i obviously went and listened to it and i was like fuck me this is this is something else like this is staggeringly brilliant and then you know when you reviewed i I here buried my rings and my dresses i was like it can't be that much better because the last one was brilliant but fuck me a stratospheric meteoric increase um I didn't particularly feel nervous going into this though i feel like it was never going to be that big a jump again but I feel like Backwash has clearly proven herself to be such an innovative artist who can present things in such a viscerally well, just difficult way, but so, so hook-laden that it's it's quite easy to get on with. This is not as extreme as a Lingwig Notar album, for example, even though it deals with sort of similar themes in, in, in some senses in terms of that introspection. Um, yeah, no, I, I wasn't nervous about this one. To be honest, I didn't actually know it was coming until I got a Bandcamp notification. So the album is out on Batwish's Bandcamp. It is coming to other digital streaming platforms in two to three weeks, I believe is what she said. I don't know the exact date. So you can go and listen to this now, and I suggest you do, because it's about a tenner if you're buying it in the UK with tax and whatnot. Um, short version is, um, I think I still prefer the previous album, but this is fucking close for me i think this is again staggeringly brilliant i think on the banda 
the second track on the album, or the, the first track proper, I should say, because the um, Katali is something of an intro. It's sort of uh, an answerphone yeah. recording uh, of a, a pastor who is not there for one of their, you know, one of their constituents. I can't think of the word, but, you know, someone who would go to them for advice and sort of spiritual guidance or anything like that. And Vibanda comes in, and you get backwash with that really gritty, you know, scathing performance, like absolutely seizing, but with that righteous indignation that she so clearly, well, deserves to sort of inhabit and express. And then when you get that just explosion of kind of the choral backing and everything, it almost feels like between that industrialised heavy stomp of it and then those core those choral vocals coming in those backing vocals it's so grandiose and it is frightening to the point of a kind of <coughs> religiously terrifying experience a bit i suppose a bit like the exorcist to go back to the top of the show it really made me think of the end of rise of rise by ramstein so like a more it's like you're in a cathedral that's collapsing around you and there's absolutely no escape i th- i think yeah the album starts fucking strong yeah really really strong i mean this is apparently the third part of a kind of um, trilogy. Mm. A sort of primarily, it says, it says the series is a primarily autobiographical with fragments of stories from her periphery with every record back while she travels further back in time, uh, reliving and experiencing the anger and despair that she had n- not granted herself at that time. So that is a pretty dark thematic thing, which we've definitely heard on the previous couple of records, I think. Yeah. I mean, God has nothing to do with this. Had a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, I guess, kind of internalized anger being released, and then I lay buried my rings and dresses. I felt like was a real kind of primal howl of like "fuck you." Mm. I thought, and both of them are great. But this says it it delves into environmental influences during her youth and predating her existence, concluding with. Uh, concluding this therapeutic practice with a return to the here and now with a stronger sense of self than when she began this therapeutic and cathartic trilogy. And I think you can kind of definitely hear that. I mean, you know, like this does the thing that Backwash does so well, you know, Mm. booming, absolutely pounding, industrialized beats. Um, It's funny we're talking about Lingering Nota because there's a kind of, Lingering Note has this sort of orchestral uh, feel to a lot of her music, and I think um, this there's a there is a there is a touch of that sort of sort of feeling, not mm. style, but feeling through. I guess the intention and the purpose of of the record, which reminds me a little bit of um, uh, of something like a Lingering Nota. Like it's got the same kind of energy to it, which I which I think is really really cool. Um, when we get to Nyama, which features mm. Pupil Slicer, Pupil it, Slicer, it does. Casey Davis, great uh, Pupil, Pupil Slicer, bring in some juddering atonal guitars and some throat shredding vocals. Um, I think that's it's a, a very smart move. It brings that different sort of vocally dynamic mm. texture and ups the abrasion. Although, I mean, I don't know how you feel about this. I think Katie does a gives a really good performance on that track. I actually find Backwash's performance that much more threatening. It's something about the kind of cold, hard stare, that kind of stalking stomp of it that I think is so much more perturbing than someone just absolutely screaming in your face. They're both brilliant, yeah. don't get me wrong, but that's just kind of, that was my immediate impression of that track. Yeah, I mean, this is like heavy in classic kind of metallic heavy 
yeah a style i think um but beneath it is it's got this kind of weird descending swirling psychedelic siren thing behind this beat and the chug of those guitars and you know the kind of the the real throat ripping vocals i mean i think you know i mentioned on the previous record there were almost sort of black metal vocals being brought into the backwash sound which i thought was amazing this doesn't quite do that but it does something i guess more hardcore i want to yeah, say it yeah. more kind of, but certainly it's quite metallic but i mean what this record and why i love backwash and i think there may this may be like i would agree with you that this i don't think the i don't think the jump between this album and the previous album is as vast as you know um as god to uh, rings god yeah. has nothing to do with this and and rings and dresses i don't think it's as big a, as big a leap but i think when it does bring in other things because there are there are things here which i guess you know i kind of hoped for and expected like you know on mizungo mm. um swagger and it's just yeah. so bangingly heavy this massive throbbing bass line it just lumbers and she just really kind of fucking like pounds and slams and like it, it's really rhythmically satisfying and propulsive i think and mm. you know those kind of weird industrialized beats and breaks are awesome there's a bit on um Zigolo, which has censored dialogue and sadistic um both doing very well yeah in, in in that song but when it stops for a second and then poof, comes back in and she's there it's fucking wicked um there are a couple of surprises on this, I think. You know, kind of new sort of sound for her. Like, I love that there's a sort of shuffle that opens Malungu. And in the middle, you get this kind of like weird 80s dance break, this sort of 8-bit thing in it as well, mm. which is which is great. Um, there's uh, the song Nufwiti, I think is how you pronounce it. it sounds like Night Snails at the start. And I think you obviously, you know, she's sampled Night Snails before. I think you can hear a lot of Night Snails' influence on this. Yeah. Um, but the voice gives it something really different. And there's like an almost like a, a, a sort of a D beat, dr a double kick drum thing going on too as well. Uh, but it's Muzaki, which is the song. Yeah, I think this is the talking point of the album, really, in, in terms of a diversion from what we know of Backwash to this to this point. I think before we jump into that, I'd just like to shout out yeah. Juju. I think Juju is my favourite. Mm. Um, my favourite song that's not an absolute about turn on this. I think... Um, so I don't know that this is actually how this performer's name is pronounced, but I'm going to go with um, Gay Guevara because that would work as a pun, but it's G-H-A-I-S. Yep. So I'm going to refer to them as Gay Guevara. Um, I think that one's a really, really cool halfway house through something like Malungo where you have got that more, I suppose, yeah, kind of warped dance beat to it. And then the real grinding heaviness that I think we associate with Backwash to this point. Mm. I would probably have that, I think I would have that as my favourite track on the album. But that's really? not to undermine anything else, because I think this is remarkably strong. I do think, with more time and sort of room to let my thoughts gestate on it, I think Muzaki will end up being my absolute favourite thing that Backwash has done to date. Really, yeah. I mean, it's amazing. That's so soul influence that soulful swell that comes in that kind of r&b swell mm. really lovely and very surprising um to hear what is usually such a kind of brutal angry artist do something so soaring and delicate here i think that is an amazing way to end the record and mm. it's the longest record 
thus far, I believe. Yeah, I think um, it is. Um, not loads longer be. than I Lie Here Buried, but definitely, I think it's almost, it might be exactly twice as long as God Has Nothing to Do With It, actually. Yeah, which is quite a short record. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, is this the best album that she's done? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, I think, like you say, it's going to be a big grower. Mm. I still think, you know, like I remember the first time I put I Lie Here Buried My Rings and Dresses on and I was just like, holy shit. Yeah. This leap is, fu-, you know, especially considering God has nothing to do with this was such a, you know, a, a high point of, of 2020 for me. When I heard when I, li- I Lie Here Buried My Rings and Dresses, I was like, holy shit. This is an unbelievable jump. And I did sort of wonder to myself, like, can you do that jump again? And I don't think it is the same jump. But then I also don't think, you know, I I hope that doesn't come across as being like an insult or like dismissive at all. Because I think it's rare that bands do to go from a a kind of an eight to a... To a ten. To to a ten. To to an eleven, I guess, yeah. I mean, I (laughs) I don't think the jump in terms of... Not necessarily, it's not like it's a massive, well, it's not a jump just in terms of quality. I think uh, I Lie Here Buried in My Regs and My Dresses is definitely a qualitative step up for Backwash, but also artistically and in terms of inventive approach. I don't think, I mean, if if she was able to do that into this album, we would be talking about one of the greatest albums of all time. That's how yeah. seismic that jump was. And if she could do that again to the same magnitude, I mean, we yeah, this would be open and shut album of the 2020s wouldn't it um but i i think this is absolutely fantastic i think mizaki it's funny because it is presented in that really pretty technical way in that soulful sort of big band approach i actually found it a quite profoundly depressing song because it felt like it is the end of this chapter of backwash's career um this ex- exploration of identity and um dysphoria you know, prevalent theme throughout most of Backwash's music. Um, and the fact that she sort of finishes a minute or so before the end of the album, it really feels like she's saying goodbye. And I, I felt quite a sense of melancholy at the end of that. But again, I'd be curious to see where she goes next, much like Lingrig Nota. be interested to see what the next stage of Backwash's career, what it investigates, both musically and kind of lyrically, spiritually, thematically, etc. Um I think this is fucking great. Fucking I do too. Great. I think this is, yeah, absolutely brilliant. And as a trilogy of records, if it is sort of set up as a trilogy, which obviously it is, mm-hmm. um, because that's what she has said. Yeah. Um, you know, that's an amazing journey to go from that first record. I think if you'd have listened to it all the way through, you're looking at about an hour and a half, maybe an hour and 40 minutes of your, your time yeah. to listen to a trilogy of records over the course of a, you know, uh, basically a kind of two-year period. Mm. Uh, so, well, May May twenty twenty to October twenty twenty-two. Yeah, you know, two two and a bit years, right? Uh, fucking like really good, mm. really like really, really, really awesome breadth and like say the sh- the places she goes, the kind of not just the the sonic musical exploration, but the kind of personal mm. journey and like stuff that she's willing to kind of. Um, muse on throughout these records and the different states of mind that she inhabits and the different kind of feelings and thoughts that she expresses on it are, are incredible so whatever comes next i i kind of hope that it will be something really really different mm. i kind of hope she'll go for something super different because that would be really really interesting yeah but in terms of like angry 
kind of dark, uh, personally explorative, um, industrialized, hard-hitting alternative hip-hop. This is pretty much as good as you're going to get unless your name's clipping, I think. Yeah, basically. You know, pretty good, that. Pretty good. Um, Yeah, I would imagine this will be... I mean, we're getting, you know, it's November now. So mm. I mean, sort of thinking about like top 20 albums of the year because it's come out so late. You're like, right, how the fuck do you, you know, wh- 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 where's your cut off? Very good. <laughs> We've got to get another office in, haven't we? Yaz. Where's your cut off? Yeah. Um, Sorry, you were making oh, a serious point there. So I was, I was actually that, making it. So. But yeah, but you just go like, oh, you know, like where, yeah, yeah the, the, can can that find its way into your, your top 20 even though it's, you know, you're only going to get a few weeks before you need to mm. sort of start deciding that. But I don't know, I don't know. It's not got in my Metal Hammer one because I had to send that in in bloody first week June. of October. Yeah, June. <laughs> Terry, Terry in June. <laughs> um, anyway, his happiness should come first even if we are suffering by backwash is out now. Go and listen to that. If Go and you... buy it on Bandcamp. Go and buy it. Backwash needs, I would... deserve support. And yeah, I would it. say go, oh, go and buy it on Bandcamp. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. So, I agree. Oh, well, there we go. Well, I've ruined that. No, I was just going to say, please go and buy it because I think Backwash just represents everything that is great about viscerally emotive heavy music. Take that fit for a king. Metalcore, even when done well, is not as expressive as Backwash's career. No. Definitely not. Um, was that what the guy was? Yeah, he's one of the fit lads in Fit for a King, I think. Yeah. Don't know what that is. Um, anyway, let's move on. Show Me the Body, Trouble the Water is our next album we're going to talk about. Third studio album from the New York-based industrial punk rock band that follow up to 2019's Dog Whistle album. I remember hearing um, a song from that on BBC Six Music during the middle of the day. Marianne Hobbs Ooh. playing that. And I was like, bloody hell, look at this. Marianne Hobbs playing some sort of weird industrial fucking hardcore band in like midday. It was crazy. But I was very delighted to to hear that and I went and checked them out and I thought, oh, this band are, this band are good. Um, and the album, Dog Whistle, and a lot of people thought, oh, this is brilliant. It's album of the year and yada, 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 yada. I thought it was good, right? I remember thinking, this is good. This is, you know, promising. This is, a, this is a promising record and it's um, certainly very much a um, a much more interesting collection of ideas than the majority of hardcore albums that I had heard before. But I did think there was maybe more to come from them. And I think, Sam, as usual, <laughs> I was as I was right. Because this, al- this album is... I think it's great, this record. Yeah. Spoiler, so do I. I think this is a really, really broad and yet simultaneously incredibly cohesive and really well-crafted record that goes to so many different places. Um, I, uh, For the record, I didn't really have much of a history with Show Me The Body before. I knew who they were and I kind of knew that they were a really respected, well, industrial hardcore band with uh, a bit of banjo. And I always kind of thought, hmm... Do they need that, or is that just a bit of a kind of like USP, hesitant to say gimmick, but is it just kind of a bit of a marketing thing? And on this album, I uh, fully eat my words, because you get uh, you get the opening song, Loose Talk, which, my God, I'm talking about the bug being oppressive. So I listened to, I listened to this and Backwash on the Coach to the Bug 
in that layer London yesterday. And <laughs> there was a point during loose talk where sort of going through the, the the twilight of Milton Keynes as the bus route tends to go, I was just like, I might need to get off. This is so claustrophobic. This is really, really tough, really horrible. And I think it's weird that a song that could be predominantly banjo and then Julian Cashwin Pratt's kind of staccato stabbing vocal that comes through it's sparse and yet there's something about the vocal production and how kind of <laughs> almost deliberately barren it feels with that obvious actual room reverb like you can tell he's you can tell he's in front of the mic you can tell that there is not much studio trickery or affectation on his voice and it is yeah it's bleak it is bleak and god I love it absolutely fucking love that um Julian Cashman, I think, goes to a lot of different places across this album. I think he... Mm. Um, the, the two vocalists, and I want to see what your take on this, the two punk vocalists in particular that he really reminded me of, I think when he's going for the, sort of the harder stuff, because he seems to be so much more bothered, and I fully back it, so much more bothered with characterization and impact over diction, let's be fair. So I think when he's going really hard and heavy, Ian Mackay, I think when you get some of the quieter tracks on this, um, like Lee's Talk and even the start of World War Four. Um, and I don't, I definitely don't mean this as an insult, I, even though it could be read as such. Tim Armstrong, I heard some Tim Armstrong in his performance. Yeah, yeah. And I mean that in a good way, because <laughs> I love Tim Armstrong. And not, not just because of your impression, but yeah, um, this is a great album. Starts off really fucking hardcore and heavy. Then you get Radiator and that turn for that real deep industrial electro. Um, yeah. Goes to a lot of cool places. Yeah, I think this is well good, this. I think this is well good. I mean, I love the way that kind of really loose sounding banjo. It sounds like it's old as fuck and it hasn't mm. been picked up for years and years and years and it just kind of clangs along. And then it's just threatening. It never fully, like blows up into something massively aggressive and hate-filled and angry and sonically kind of terror terror that kind of sonic terrorism that you mm. associate with hardcore never fully does that and then food from the plate reminds me of unsane yeah um it's got that kind of evil 70s um grindhouse kind of feel to it <laughs> that, that the band like unsane did i think it's fucking great Got a bit of like Code Orange in it as well. That kind of wee, wee, wee guitar, that kind of stabby guitar bit is really good. Mm -hmm. um, they on, on the stuff like Radiator, they sound like old as fuck industrial electro experimental shit like, you know, like Throbbing Gristle yeah. or White House or whatever. That kind of weird keyboard and bin clatter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kind of like craft work from hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then we came to plays a bit more groovy and stompy and there's a, a kind of breakdown that comes in. It also reminds me of Earth Crisis. Thuggy hardcore. And then 90 seconds in, some like weird fairground music comes along. You just go, well, I didn't expect that to happen, no. I have to say. Um, but for me, like what what is great is stuff like Out of Place, which, you know, that kind of electro yeah. threat like weirdly quiet but probably heavier than anything that's come before it it's, it's it just sounds unsettling the, and horrible you know yeah it's the lurking threat of those subdued kind of vangelis synths basically that just rise and build and build and build and you are waiting for that fever pitch to you wait for the tension to break and it never quite does 
And I think Out of Place is a one-two with Boils Up. I think Boils Up might be my favourite because I think that's the perfect oh, really? kind of amalgam of the industrial edge and the hardcore nastiness that they're doing. And the, Yeah, the, I've what, put it's like Discharge meets Nine Inch Nails. Yeah, totally. I mean, to be honest, I'm, I'm glad you said Code Orange because I did think, oh, am I being basic and thinking there's a fair bit of Code Orange in bits of this? But obviously not because, I mean, if Stephen Hill says it, it must be an erudite opinion. But um, yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> but in the, in the sparse bits of boils up where it's just the vocals and maybe a bit of percussion you just get this like searing white noise just uh, waving at you in the background it's like it's it's horrible and i love horrible things which is good um i then also think on like buck 50 jesus christ the production on those chords it it could level a block of flats that song it is so powerful fist swinging madness mm. I mean, when I first listened to this, I was, I thought Buck 50 was the song that I remembered the most. Mm. And I think even five, six listens down the line, this is my favourite song on the record, I think. I Fair. think it is, it's got this kind of really kind of early grunge groove feel to it. It's like the Jesus Lizard or early Melvins meeting the kind of Jesus and Mary chain. It's got that kind of 80s indie post-punk clatter mixed with that really kind of bayou heavy tar thick mm. early grunge guitar you know kind of black flag on my war guitar inspiration as well really really great i think that song is absolutely amazing um and you know you mentioned De- demeanor which is like the build on that is fucking amazing i think the bass on it again is brilliant um and world war four which is the second to last song in it, I think. It is, yeah, the Panther song. Um, basically just sort of acoustic guitar only for a long time mm. with this almost sort of wrapped vocal hook. And then it just goes mad. And I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. Uh, this is one of my favourite heavy albums of the year, I think. It's really, really great. It, it's, it, it really is, yeah. Yeah, I, I think this is definitely better than the previous record and i thought the previous record was very very um inventive mm. like really really inventive i'm not sure like like i say i didn't think it, everything hit totally for me in the way that maybe they're going for but this pretty much hits all the bits that they're trying to hit to a very very high standard i think it's great this record Back, back that 100% and I just think the production of it all it is so it's so dry for so much of it I mean particularly like on using it that snare is so dry it feels like <laughs> it feels like you could I don't know throw it through a wall and it would just it, this kind of concentrated block of a snare that could just cause so much damage to you I mean yeah the, it, it's a pummeling listen but a really rewarding one and Again, another one that I can't wait to spend loads more time with. I imagine I'll probably be talking about this at the end of the year. So, Good chance that might happen, I think. Yeah, good yeah. chance that that might happen. So there you go. The band are called Show Me The Body. Uh, the album um, is called Trouble The Water. And yeah, I mean, you might be hearing more from them and us very soon. Mm. Very soon. Uh, let's move on next album we're going to talk about is Marlow 3 by Marlow the third Shock album <laughs> from the North Carolina rap duo the follow up to Shock 2 from 2020 uh, this duo consists of producer Larange and mm. MC Solemn Brigham now there's somebody who I can't remember who told me to listen to this 
but somebody said oh you should listen to this mike i think his name's mike mike if you're listening thank you for pointing me in the direction of of this record and uh and giving us a, a good um a good recommendation because um i don't know that we would have covered this record were it not for that um so i listened to it and i'm bloody glad i did because i think this is really really good this is like a kind of classic crate digging hip-hop cuts and beats and samples from old films and old music and it opens with this kind of collage of stuff mm. and then we kind of we're away and immediately i was like oh this is the type of thing that I used to get into in my youth and I feel like I'm going to enjoy this. Um, but there's more to this than just, oh, I used to listen to music, which sounds a bit like this, so I like it. I think this is genuinely a really great record. Yeah. Uh, I mean, as someone who basically has sort of no no previous history with this kind of thing, uh, I can't uh, kind of get into it with any sort of nostalgic sense. But I do think this is really strong. Um I think Solemn Brigham, uh, Brigham, sorry, is absolutely fantastic. I mean, when you get, um, so the first track proper, Past Live, comes in. I mean, my God, his vocals are so vibrant. I mean, after, you know, talking about Backwash and Show Me The Body, it's so nice to have a, a, well, an album that's actually pretty, you know, light and enjoyable. For the most part, I feel like there is, you know, kind of lyrical narratives that get a bit darker in there. Um but his performance, I mean, just on the first three songs, so Past Life, President the Rock and My People, you get three very, very distinct flows and rhythms from him, all kind of underpinned by this lush cadence that he's got. Um, I, I think that does continue for the most part throughout the album. I mean, he, he is fantastic. And LaRange's lush production is amazing. I think it's a smart move to have some guest vocalists come in as well, just to kind of break up the um, kind of unanimous sound that i suppose goes through this whole thing because to be honest i really like this album i feel it is a little longer than i necessarily need it to be i think it sits in one place for quite a long time i mean it's 48 minutes i'm pretty sure this is the longest album we're doing this week by well about uh, well yeah five uh, minutes is. longer than the next one we're doing um mm-hmm. and i think yeah maybe maybe a bit of trimming for someone like me but that's not to say that what's here is bad um, apart from, I think we're going to have to have the conversation again. Comedy skits. I don't need them, Steve. Like, Ramesh Ranganathan, <laughs> sure he's a lovely fella. Funny, actually, played at the pub I used to run that was a comedy festival venue in in Leicester. I mean, he got he played there like years Did before he? I started there. But yeah, he started there, actually. It was one of his early gigs. So, well wow. done to him, because now he's on a Marlowe album. Um, and I do like that it's... He, he, he's joking about wanting to be a rapper knowing that he's not very good even though he gives it a kind of half-heartedly earnest try but I don't really need it it feels like a weird break in the album and then you get something like Eddie Appetite's Bulletproof Steering Wheel that's kind of a it's like a radio advert isn't it really it's like come on down to Crazy Eddie's Emporium and get yourself a Bulletproof Steering Wheel it's like it. I, I don't know it kind of just takes away from the flow of the album for me well, that would take three minutes off of the record if you took those two things off. Yeah. I mean, I would say that, and um, I don't know if I need astounding science fiction. I kind of like it as an instrumental interlude with that kind of tape decay and the samples and stuff on it. That's cool, but I don't know. By that point in the album, I'm tending to think, how much more does this have to give someone like me? I think it is really well put together. It's really well performed. 
Solomon Brigham, mm. especially, I think, is an absolute star, clearly. But yeah, it didn't it didn't grab me all the way through, I would say. I can understand how this record, uh, in terms of the production of the record and where they go with it, I mean, I think there is a fair few different flavours to it. I think certainly Solomon Brigham brings most of the different flavours to it because yeah. he's very dexterous as a mm. vocalist. I mean, but I do think... <clears throat> that kind of past life with that slow jazz horn behind quite a a great beat. And I think, you know, he brings an interesting flow. He's fast in his flow, you know, but this isn't like, you know, even though everything just seems to be kind of flowing from his esophagus endlessly going, going out, 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 out constantly without him ever breathing in, Mm. but you don't. And so he's spitting that stuff out, but not spitting it to the point where, you know, kind of, you get someone like, well, let's let's take Eminem when he goes really fucking fast on rap gods or any of the songs that he does where you will leave, you will lose a fair few words here and there. You don't really lose anything with him. So I thought that was really cool. I think President, you mentioned President The Rock. I think it sounds cool. The beats are kind of, that when they go into a kind of flurry of beats and then he, and then he steps back on it for a minute mm. and then he kind of leans back into it. It's really, really, really cool. I think My People's got a bit of two-tone scar to it, which I think is awesome. And the rapid-fire delivery, again, from Solomon Brigham is great. I mean, I think, you know, we said this, I said this when we, we reviewed the Black Thought and Danger Mouse album from earlier this year, and I said, you know, that kind of old-sounding, analogue, real feel of much of the production of that album is just something which I always go, oh, it sounds really nice. Mm-hmm. And I think what you're getting with this album is something similar to that, with um something a bit more kind of uh uh what's the word like kind of show tune not show tune uh show tunes he makes it sound cheesy it's kind of big Um, band isn't it i'd say it's quite you know big bandic like dance hall kind of big band swing kind of thing it's got a very warm production all the way through um and actually on president the rock i think it's got this weird sort of um it's like warping and there's a, a, a double track of Solemn's vocals and it's just slightly out of kilter as well. Gives it this <coughs> quite unsettling feel to it for an album that is predominantly warm and a nice space to be in. I think that's really mm. cool. But for me, it is. It does do a lot of different things in its first half. I think when we get to hold the crown, I feel like I've heard everything musically that it's going to do. And you know, like that is fine. Albums don't have to be a collection of songs that are all catastrophically different and going into these different areas and stuff like that. They can just be consistently really, you know, really good all the way through and have uh, a theme that runs through them. I don't know. Yeah, it's just, I mean, particularly when I get to, I mean, Godfist I do really like on the back half. I think Danino Farrar's baritone works really well against Solomon's vocals. Yeah, but um, it does. I'd say those last four of like Heist, The Fall, Plenty Dreams, Places We Leave, I'm not sure. Um, yeah. I'm not sure it does enough to kind of distinguish it from the beginning of the record in terms of quality, not in terms of sort of musical invention, because it doesn't all have to be a reinvention time Mm. and time again. I just found those last four tracks a little bit of a kind of, I felt like the record could have ended sooner. Well, I mean, potentially, I mean, the the funny thing is that I kind of put something a bit similar um, when we get to Astounding Science Fiction, where I was like, I feel like, we've heard everything now mm. but i do think there is i mean 
to bring out Rom- Romesh Ranganathan, who I did not expect to hear on this record at all. No, me neither. Uh, you know, he said something about like dodging taxes like Gary Barlow. You won't get that line. It's pure Britishness. Yeah. Uh, which I thought was quite, you know, it's funny. I mean, you know, like if you have someone as famous as Romesh Ranganathan, when you're, you know, Marlow by the look, let's have a look at what they they have on um on Spotify, 160,000 monthly listeners, mm. right? Which is nothing, good. Nothing to sniff at, no. Absolutely nothing to sniff at at all. I mean, when we consider that, um, you know, we were speaking about Lingering Nota and she has 55,000 monthly mm. listeners. So it's it's double that, but it's still, you know, when we speak about Corn, they have 7 million. So, you know, when someone like Rom- Romesh Ranganathan comes along um, and says, I, w- I want to be on your album, mm. Probably, probably going to go like, oh, fuck yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Fuck and, yeah. And that's fine. And, you know, it's fun. They're, they're clearly having fun with it, but it's that it's that Mark Como thing of like, I can tell that the people making this are having fun and that doesn't necessarily translate to a listener like me. Sure. It, ju- it just sure. breaks the flow that little bit for me. And I understand the irony of me complaining about that in an album that I feel goes too long and stays in the same place. But it's just the kind of, the over kind of comedy thing of it. And to be fair to Ramesh, he does do it in a really deadpan way that I like. It's not swivelized wackiness, which I think I would have absolutely hated. Mm. Yeah, I just, I, I can't, can't get on board with it. Comedy skits just don't do it for me. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, you know, straight after it, we get Royal, which is amazing. Mm. Oh yeah, 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 Royal's fantastic. Absolutely amazing. This wicked kind of throwback to that big bravado, big beat tag team in hip hop, which is fucking great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I got to Lamello actually, where I was like, ah, you know, I think we're dropping a touch here, or I feel like, you know, we've sort of, you know, we've maybe we've got to the point where I like all of this, mm-hmm. but we're dropping a touch just because we're going for sort of similar style. But then you get stuff like Clarity, which comes in, which has, I mean, I'm not sure it is actually a Beatles sample, but it's got that, you know. Um, tomorrow never knows sort of reversed beat and this really kind of blobby marshmallowy bass over it which i thought was fucking awesome you mentioned danino farag joining them on godfist which i think is wicked he brings a different accent brings yeah. a different style brings a completely different feel to it and the song itself is really creepy it's almost like a kind of hip-hop version of the cramps it's really <laughs> really great yeah. i think heist is is wicked as well it's got that kind of super aggressive um, but slightly tongue-in-cheek, run the jewel style, bounce to it, but with trumpets. Um, and, you know, at that point, I was like, yeah, I think there's some stuff on the second half. You know, um, sounds like Chris Novoselic is playing bass on the full. Um, that's why I thought the, yeah. the bass tone on that, I was like, what an amazing kind of grungy bass tone that hasn't been heard on this record yet. And while I will admit that it never sort of stretches way, way, way beyond the parameters or the confines of the stuff that it sets itself out for within everything that happens within the first five tracks on the record. I think occasionally it does something a bit different and it just does a few things so well that I'm like, well, that's just an amazing song. That could have been number two on the album. And it's not. I don't think when you get to the second half, I think the second half of it, you know, there's some really great moments peppered in there and mm-hmm. there's some moments where you're, like, where you're going, okay, I have sort of heard this before. But overall, I don't think anything on it is bad. I don't think anything no. on it is bad. And over 49 minutes, I mean, it's not an insanely, ridiculously long running time. It could have been chopped down. I know what you mean. I reckon if it was 40 minutes, it probably would be um, a slightly stronger record overall. But there's not really... I mean, I 
I've never listened to it and felt like, fucking hell, this is dragging. Do you know what I mean? It's never dragged for me at all. No, no, I wouldn't say it dragged. And I definitely wouldn't say there's anything bad on here, but I think it does just, it, it fails to hold someone like mine's attention for the whole time. Um, and I think in some senses, because the, the production of it is so warm and quite, uh, I don't know, muted at times as well. It It's like being it's like being in a deep bath um it's just it's a nice warm space that i don't know how marlowe's deep bath absolutely yeah but i don't know how engaging that is for me but i I, you know i know plenty of other people will absolutely love this i've seen this i I saw a couple of reviews you know i've saw one in fact saying this was definitely the album of the year which for me is definitely not but i think this is it's a a strong album it's just it we've just spoken about backwash and show me the body which i think i'm much more familiar with where they're coming from and the execution just does a little bit more for me. Yeah, I mean, I think due to the performance, I think probably due to Solomon Brigham's performance alone, I do love the production on it as well. Mm. I think it sounds really good. But due to Solomon Brigham's performance alone, I think I might actually have it slightly above that Black Thought and Danger Mouse album, you know? Oh, fair. Because I know people bloody loved that. So, yeah, yeah fair well, enough. I did. I thought it was great. That, to me, I was like, well, this is the best kind of old school sounding throwback. Not old school as in going all the way up to Tone Loke. But, you know, the, the hip hop that I listened to. Black Thought and Danger Mouse probably a, saying when anything I was about horrible. Like, <laughs> yeah, when I was about 20. But, um, yeah, I think this was the, that was, for me, like that was the best old school sounding hip-hop album of the year at that point and then this has come like quite comfortably as well and then this has come along and i'm like actually like mc wise i don't even think it's a competition i think he's definitely better but i think maybe i think if you got him on that but i thought if you merged those two albums you would have a potential uh album of the year contender yeah. i mean to be fair i think um solemn brigham is the most technically capable and charismatic quite frankly vocalist that we're talking about this week i think he he is the reason that i will go back to this album but it's not one that i'm going to be absolutely racing to return to but it is it is his performance and the dexterity of it that is it's it's staggeringly impressive but i just i'm not sure i like the whole album all the way through that much Mm, fair okay all right well marlo three by marlo is out now let's do one last record we probably could have done this a couple of weeks ago but i thought you know chuck it in just something for the for you poptastic kids out there. Uh, Kylie Rae Jepsen, The Loneliest Time, the sixth studio album from the Canadian pop star, the follow-up to 2020's dedicated Side B, which was sort of a companion piece to 2019's dedicated record. Although I'm saying that as if I know loads about Kylie Rae Jepsen. I've got to say, I don't really know that much about Kylie Rae Jepsen other than, you know... Call Me Maybe. No, call, call Me Maybe is an absolute banger. Poor Carly, she's released this album the week that Tay-Tay release her album so you don't want to be a sort of female pop star going up against taylor swift but that's why we left it but sam call me maybe call me maybe's a banger do you know anything else by kylie rejepson other than that song should uh, talk about that song for a second i mean that song's great absolutely brilliant yeah uh, no complaints from me obviously i hated it when it came out but that's because i was a prick back then who just didn't like music that was popular so whatever no it's a great song um i don't know any of the Carly Rae Jepsen in that I could sort of instantly recall song titles to you. I could tell you the most time I've ever spent listening to her uh, outside of prepping for talking about this album though. There (laughs) is a venue here in Leicester called The Shed and I saw Conjurer and Pine play there and between the two, uh, well, I think between 
whoever opened and Pine and then between Pine and Conjurer, it was just Carly Rae Jepsen on the PA. Because I know that Conjurer certainly uh, absolutely unabashedly love Carly Rae Jepsen. But yeah, not an artist I've really explored. Okay, fair. Well, I'll tell you what. But before we go on to the actual album itself, I'm going to say Call Me Maybe. I don't know if any of you have noticed this. I think it is a great song. But I think <sighs> something's always troubled me about that song. And I think it's the lyric, before you came into my life, I missed you so bad. I missed you so bad. I missed you, you so, so, so bad. So bad. How can you miss someone before they came into your life? That is a very interesting semantic and philosophical question. To be honest, I'd not noticed that. I thought it was, boy, you came into my life. But whatever. Well, that doesn't make sense either. Yeah, but I'm not really thinking about the kind of metatextual narrative of a pop song in in the case of Carly Rae Jepsen's work. It troubles me. Okay. Before you came into my life, I missed you so bad. What were you missing? Because I don't, do you know what I mean? Like, what exactly were you missing? Were you going, oh, there's somebody who's going to come along, I'm sure. And I just miss them. I don't know who they are. I've never met them before. They're not actually part of my life. But mm. God, I missed. God, I missed them. God, I wish they were here right now. Is it a feeling of that there's somebody out there? I, I don't know. I suppose it's But quite- all I know is... That she's, it's, it doesn't make sense. I suppose, it always has driven me mad. Oh, fair enough. I suppose it's quite hard to write a sort of catchy pop hook based around, before you came into my life, I was stricken with ennui for years. The French existentialist dread. <laughs> the malaise of my life. Doesn't really work as a kind of like catchy song, does it really? So, But no, then I guess that's why I'm here and not playing the same venues as Kylie Rae Jepsen. So. Well, yeah, I mean, this is me, to be fair, brought it up. That's why I go and see Kylie Rae Jepsen when she does that song and go, what do you mean? <laughs> Boo! <laughs> do it Explain again yourself. properly. How could you have... You've, you're an idiot. Um, <laughs> anyway, she's not an idiot. Uh, let's talk about this record. Done we, this. Go on. Uh, I, can't, I can't believe you've done this. Um, Surrender My, My Heart, the opening song of this record, is a fine opening song, I think. I think it's pretty mm-hmm. good. It's got some great... 80s drum breaks in it. Man, the drums sound 80s, don't they? Mm. That's the sound of the 80s, those drums. It's a cool opener, and it sort of sets the tone for this entire album in the way that this feels like quite a simple throwback pop record. This isn't a hyper-pop record. This isn't some kind of, you know, massive reinvention of her sound or the sound of pop music. This isn't some big exploration of her past life or whatever. This is just a pretty, pretty pop music record i think yeah i think that's basically spot on uh it wasn't what i expected at all when you get surrender my heart come in i mean there's those gorgeous gorgeous um gorgeous simmering sort of synth oh my god i can't speak now gorgeous shimmering synth arpeggio sound like sean connery (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah carly i need you on the red october that was awful sorry about that um anyway Sorry to all Scots listening. I really like your music, but I can't do your accent, so there we go. Um, <laughs> mm. It's got a gorgeous, shimmering synth arpeggio intro that's really, really nice. Really like that. And it took me by surprise that it never kind of went super vibrant in Technicolor because I think because I only know Call Me Maybe, and I don't feel like Carly Rae Jepsen is often in sort of critically acclaimed, or conversations about critical acclaim. I assumed she'd maybe kind of stuck with the same thing. So I was taken aback when this is more in the super contemporary, like sad pop 
mold this album basically i think there are two exceptions and to be honest they're my two favorite tracks but yeah generally it's quite gentle all the way through um there's some interesting lyrics i think there are some that don't work um they they don't keep me up at night like they do you but um yeah i mean basically me. basically talking to yourself is the best song on the album isn't it it's just a lovely massive chorus in a kind of jermaine stewart vibe it's an absolute belter and i love that there's this bit where the vocals get manipulated and kind of twisted and warped into a kind of shredding eddie van halen on beat it style guitar lick that's really cool and then the only other one that i <coughs> really really like is shooting star because it's just joyous bubblegum pop and it's got laser beams in it so sylvester and carbon would be happy it, they would yes yeah. yes um I think, I mean, you missed it. So we go into Joshua Tree. I don't think has that much of a strong hook. That kind of da, 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 da hook feels a little bit phoned in to me. Mm. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, Talking to yourself is a banger. Dead good. Yeah. Quite, a, you know, that late 80s style of dance pop is what you're getting from there. I mean, it's not the biggest hook in terms of like a big, big, big pop hook. I don't think it's as big as it could be. Oh, no. I thought you meant like but not it's... the biggest in on this album. I was going to say, hmm, disagree there. But no, it's not yeah, well, It's not know. a monumental hook. I mean, I don't think there's anything monumental on this album, but I think I think those it's two songs really. are really good. The rest of it, it's, all, it's okay. It's all right. I mean, look, there's a song called Far Away, and it feels like a really sort of phoning version of that mid-90s girl with a guitar uh song but without much of a decent chorus like it's you're not it's not cheryl crow um it's barely even uh what if god joan osborne or something like that but you know what i mean but it doesn't it doesn't really ever get going which is sort of weird because it sort of looks and sounds on the surface like it should be oh this is cool this is like doing that kind of um uh lilith fair type of pop thing which is good you got something like sideways which sort of passed me by Mm. Beach House is very, very plinky kind of modern pop, which is stylistically something I don't like. Although I have to say, when that line "Got a Beach House in Malibu" came in, I was like, "Okay, that you've managed to find something which will stay with me forever." With just that one line, but that is, is not really enough. Um, no, it was it also the line um, "I've got a beach house in Malibu, and I'm probably going to harvest your organs." That was a bit of an about turn, wasn't it? Is that what she says? There's, there's what, well, the bloke who's doing that vocal in the chorus, there is one line where he changes it from whatever the main hook is to, and I'm probably going to harvest your organs. It is absolutely oh, yeah. there. Yeah. And it's it's weird. It's like, uh, obvi obviously it's weird to have that on a pop album where it's kind of <laughs> entering a now Nathrak territories. But, yeah. you know, I, I kind of thought, oh, that's kind of amusing, I suppose. But then uh, it's just odd. Like, do you know what that completely i now you've said that i was like oh yeah he does say that mm. but because of the way it was delivered i just went oh that's nice yeah because it's done in exactly the same sort of cadence and intonation as the song proper it's like in one vision by queen at the end they go gimme 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 fried chicken, fried chicken. but it mm. sounds like one vision because you're so used to that hook being blasted at you repeated it's not until someone tells you that they've said something different that you notice it yeah i mean okay so i'm gonna do the things that i think are good ben's is good i mean it's not that much of a song but it sort of reminds me of something that could have been on the last poppy album which i quite like mm -hmm. um western wind is a, a very nice dream pop thing i think the drums are really really cool on that the drums sound really good and the piano sounds really good and it shuffles along in a very satisfying way and it has a nice guitar solo uh, as well and then at the end um you get rufus wainwright turning up on the title track Yes. Which is a soaring kitsch 70s pop strutter 
of the the sort of the the, the golden era of um 70s pop ballads and that is that is nice i think that's good yeah to be fair that would be my third favorite song <laughs> on this other than basically the two bubblegum pop bangers yeah i think rufus wainwright's um duet with carly ray jepson yeah, it's really good it's nice you know it's 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 all very nice isn't it i don't think there's loads below the below the surface of this nice album and if that's what you want i mean you probably go and listen to taylor swift to be honest but this is good um ben, ben's i think's all right i really like the airy sort of blown out drum production on that that feels very kind of i don't know yeah 80s power ballad basically even though it's in quite a quiet song but just that drum production it did make me think of I don't know, something that would be in a John Hughes film, essentially. Um, yeah. Western Wind, I'm staggered that that was the lead single for this album because I don't think it's particularly good. Oh, really? Well, uh, um, I think it's one of the best songs on the record. I mean, the thing yeah. is, that, you know, we were talking about pop albums the other day and we were, I was saying to you how pop albums used to be full of filler mm-hmm. and a couple of massive singles, right? So So Nice is... is reminds me of the absolute filler yeah. that, that pop albums used to be filled with um i quite like the bass on bad things twice but apart from that filler i like the guitar part on shooting star apart from that filler go find mm. yourself or whatever is a sort of really slow country yeah don't need it's that a one. weird like country pop mick with calypso drums doing a heartbreak song do not need that um there's you know like you said back in the day these sort of solo artists releasing pop albums, even people as big as Madonna. We haven't actually put this podcast out yet, but me and Sam have had this conversation. You'll be able to hear it soon. Um, there, but there was a lot of songs where you're just like, well, that's no one's going to fucking go. Well, that's an underrated deep dive into the, you know, whoever's career, into no. Britney Spears' career. You know, songs don't really exist, right? Um, and this to me, it, it feels like one of those records because you know it is a it's quite a lot of like filler and the singles feel pretty obvious to me but the singles are they're not strong enough to make this album work just as oh it's a pop album with really big singles no you're right they they're, they're actually when you look at you know uh western wind beach house the title track and um, talking talk to, yourself, to yourself yeah are um i mean talking to yourself yeah i can see why that was a single i think talking I to can... yourself is the obvious lead single to me and then the title track i can see is the kind of the the second single before the album comes out if you're doing a two single promotion or whatever because it does give two sort of different flavors of the album but it also gives you the whole album so is there much point in actually listening to the rest of it yeah i'm quite surprised surrender my heart wasn't picked as one to to release before and particularly mm. over beach beach house which i think well i suppose beach house has that one really really big hook but very little else yeah do you know what i mean like this is i'm quite surprised this because people do talk about carly ray jepson as if she is you know one of the great pop stars one of the one of the fucking best pop stars around right and people i know people fucking love carly ray jepson and this is the first time i've listened to one of her albums in full and i have to say i was slightly disappointed in this yeah. I was slightly disappointed. I think it kind of um it kind of backs up every fairly negative um uh stereotype of pop artists having not much to sort of say for themselves. Yeah. Um uh and not in like a kind of really oh she's shit or any or anything like that. Do you know what I mean? I don't feel like that. I just think like you would probably listen to this and go, I'm not this 
there's not a, enough massive bangers on there to make me go yeah but put that on and you are going to remember that and mm. you will dance to that and that will be in your head forever that's not there and the rest of it is a sort of collection of like oh yeah you know like fine yeah i'd say it's sort of, it is competently made to the point of being a serviceable album it's fine it's not it, it, I'm, I'm quite ambivalent to it to be honest i I feel nothing. I feel the ennui that she should have written about in Call Me Maybe. Yeah, and it's such a shame because Call Me Maybe is huge. Oh, Belter. If she, can, if, she can, if she can do that over and over and over and over again, mm. then, you know, she, uh, she, she, she probably is as good as people make out, but, like, you know, she's not better than Taylor. Like, on the strength of this, you can't say she's better than Taylor Swift, surely. Nah. Surely. But I saw people were, they were going, oh no, it's all about Kylie Rae Jepsen today, fuck Taylor Swift. And I was a bit like, oh, I don't know about that. Um, that is pretty crazy. Uh, anyway. Hey, I just met it. you. Yeah, I just met you. He's, yeah. d- he's done it. Uh, he's done the reference. He right. have actually done it. Congratulations. Well done. You have done it. Well done. Yeah. Uh, Kylie Rae Jepsen, The Loneliest Time is out now. And do you know what? You know, last week we got some news um, just as we were finishing. Oh, go I on. Very, very quickly clicked to see this is interesting news sam <laughs> pantera have announced their first european show in 22 years at germany's rock and ring festival mm. it's not actually pantera obviously no. it's and selmo rex brown zach wild and charlie bonate uh on um guitar and drums respectively um and yeah pantera have been confirmed for rock and ring mm. so i i'm gonna assume that they're gonna be you know doing some festivals over here <laughs> um yeah i suppose my immediate reaction to that is uh, it's interesting they're playing the nurberg ring and not nuremberg so <laughs> nazi salute joke so what well, tell well, that to know, the grandkids so, yeah, definitely, yeah, they will. They will definitely get that. So, yeah. um, uh, De Tottenhausen, Machine Gun Kelly, Tenacious D, Apache Two Hundred Seven, Kiz, I don't know, uh, Pantera, Evanescence, Youngblood, Papa Roach, Turnstile, Architects. Look at fucking Turnstile right up there. Architects, so. Noah, yeah, No FX, Arch Enemy, Aviva. Um, Aviva, if you get, insurance if company. If you want to get some <laughs> insurance, uh, Boys It's Fire are playing. They're quite high up. Boys It's Fire are massive in Germany. Buried Tomorrow, Carpet of Brute, Hollywood Undead, Fever 333. Uh, really? One. The Fever uh, 1. In, Free the Fever yeah. 1. Finch, Employed to Serve, Hot Water Music's playing as well. Meshuggah. Meshuggah are lower than Hot Water Music, Boys It's Fire, and Finch. That is fucking insane, isn't it? Mm. Um it's probably because you said uh, all those bad things about Immutable. Yeah. The Menzingers are playing. Distillers, Distillers are right down there as well. Touche wow. more as well. But, but, like, look at that. Pantera. I mean, I guess... I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know why I'm surprised. Uh, they are I, definitely going to be at a major rock festival in the UK next summer, aren't they? I'm not going to say which one. Spoiler alert! They're, they're going to be a yeah. download, aren't they? Surely they'll be a download. I, I'm not two, privy to two thousand trees are going to are going to email us and go. Why are you giving away our, our line? <laughs> why are you spoiling it? Uh, Damnation festival. Yeah. Um, it's, look, yeah. They're, right. they're probably going to be a download. I'm not privy to any information to back that up. I'm just using common sense. Yeah, I think that's going to happen, don't you? It almost I think certainly. That's gonna, 
I think that's definitely going to happen. The old Pantera uh, reunion is probably going to be rolling into uh, Download Festival. I don't really know. I was going to say, I don't know how I feel about that. I do know how I feel <laughs> about that. I don't, don't really want that, really. No. But, I mean, I just don't want to... I just don't want to... I just don't want to have anything to do with any of this, really. No. I mean, no. I mean hey, look. My my last word on it would be, if Pantera want to come and perform at the, the hallowed grounds of Donington, they can do that. But I'll be standing there politely asking them to walk on home, boy. Yeah. That's another another reference way? I've done there. It's good. It is good. Yeah. It is good, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was good, that. Thanks, man. Um, Anyway, uh, let's go. Pantera are back, going to be back. I'm, fuck, I'm not calling fucking. I'm not calling them Pantera. Shantera. Yeah, Shantera. Yeah, bland Terra. Oh, he's got him. No, I've really got him. All right, cool. Anyway, thanks very much for listening, guys. We'll be back next week. Go over to patreon.com forward slash truecoppop and you can sign up for all of our specials, including uh, President of the United States coming tomorrow. And in the middle of the week, you will get a podcast. Bring Me the Horizons Sempaternal record. Ooh, that'd be exciting, wouldn't it? Uh, we'll speak to you then. Thanks very much for listening. See you next week. <laughs>